Raging Review. The Raging Cajuns will be a source of pride for this university, for the alumni, fans, and donors as we achieve success in the classroom, in the competitive arena, and in the community. It's about to get really fun. We're looking for dudes that will stand up. Well, Coach, let me tell you today, I'm here and I'm ready to stand up. And I challenge you, Raging Cajun Nation, to stand up with us. Stand up with us. Let's lock hand in hand and let's walk through the gates of Omaha. Hey, I love y'all boys. Let's grind every day starting today. Let's do it. Y'all ready? Alarm! Alarm! Ready! Who's that team ready? Who's that team ready? That's up! I got one thing to say right here. Cajun win! Ladies, gentlemen, children, babies, Cajun Nation, that's right. You heard the man, as Coach Dez would say, Cajuns win. Cajuns win a big game as they kiss Cajun Field goodbye by the final score of 52-21, to 21, making the Cajuns bowl eligible for the sixth straight year in a row. Cajuns get the win in front of a crowd of 13,892. This is actually the Cajuns' largest win over the Warhawks at home uh, in 30-plus years. And believe it or not, I believe this is the most points scored at home against ULM uh, in our program's history. So everything that could go right for the Cajuns today went right. Uh, After these last three weeks, it's been pretty much uh, a hectic road. But it was nice to see the Cajuns get a huge victory over the Warhawks, again, by the score of 52-21 to Cajuns. Finished the regular season with a record of six and six, three and five in conference play. And now they will await their fate in the next week or so on which bowl they will be attending. I'm Jerry. I'm here with Nick and Josh. Gentlemen, how are you today? What's up, bud? I'm I'm well. Um, look, I'm I'm a little, I don't know. I'm I just like I told you before, I wasn't really getting into the game this week for some reason. And I kind of felt the same way. I thought I'd get a little more pumped up as as the game started today. Um, but but overall, very pleased with the results. I think we beat a team that is bad, and we beat a bad team the way we should beat a bad team. We handled them. A little a little apprehension, I think, at the first part of the game when they were running up and down the field on us in that second drive. But you know, we uh, we we pretty much dominated them the rest of the game. You'll talk stats later, and the and the stats speak for themselves but one thing and Kripa mentioned it on on X that I like to see was that Dez was pissed off by how some of the guys were acting and reacting and behaving during this game and that's the first time this season I've heard him do that and that was that gave me a little bit of hope (laughs) that we're moving back away from just making everybody happy to uh holding people accountable and, and again he could have been holding people accountable behind the scenes but to come out publicly and sort of scold the way the team was acting I like to see that Jerry and and it was I feel like it was past time that we saw that this season so happy happy with the way things went happy with the outcome still need to clean some things up but overall it's a big win over a team that typically plays us really tough and they didn't do that this year because we hit their ass basically and I also want to say, too, what a great way for the seniors to go out. Um, you know, the, the last few years, 
senior day, the games have been a little bit closer. I know last year we, we won pretty convincingly against uh, Georgia Southern, but usually when ULM comes to town on senior day, it's always a close game. And, uh, you know, the last time ULM came to town uh, for senior day in 21, the game we won by five points. And, and this was when we were 13 and one. The time before that, they had to miss a field goal for us to beat them. So it's nice to actually get a convincing win over this team because, like we said going into the game, Nick, they always give us their best game no matter how bad they are, no matter how good they are. The records go out the window. You're always going to get a war uh, at Cajun Field when the Warhawks come to town, but I didn't really see it today. And, um, you know, I think for the first time in a long time, our team actually stepped up and woke up and, like you said, beat them the way we were supposed to beat them, and that was pretty handily by 31 points. So very satisfying there for sure. And Jerry, we, we have to talk about Chandler, man. You know, the guy, the guy rode the bench most of the season. He waited for his turn. When he got his opportunity, he took advantage of it, had an amazing game. And he's been, he's been good in the, in the other two performances or three performances, however many he's been in the season, but he just came in. He was very businesslike. He controlled the offense, like again, very businesslike and just very pleased with the way that he performed and hopefully he gets the the chance to get a win in in a bowl game i mean in the bowl game that we will be in cuz he didn't last year against Houston i feel like this might be his his opportunity and his chance to get the dub so just very happy for Chandler i don't know what the future holds for him but just very very pleased and and proud of the the way he showed poise through through everything i mean you you got a guy who lost a starting job to uh to Ben because of injury, which wasn't fair to him, but you know, Hey, results were in a business is, is the way things work out. And he stuck with it. And, and a lot of us didn't think he would, a lot of us thought he'd transfer and there were some rumblings out there, but he stuck with it. He got his chance and he showed, he showed the class and the poise that he has. So uh, just, just really excited for him as a player and as a senior to, to go out on a, a big win. Yeah, Chandler Fields today, 18 completions, 20 pass attempts, 246 yards, two touchdowns, six rushes for 38 yards and a touchdown. Just a really good all-around game from Chandler, and he was honored with the senior class today. So if this was indeed his last game at Cajun Field, man, what a way to go out. Yeah, and and look, we'll I'm sure we'll touch on attendance later, um, which was pathetic, but, uh, you know, William Beckham, who was there, and I don't know, Jerry, you tell me, he said the crowd was loud and into it, even though there were 13,000 people there. He felt like there was a great atmosphere. What was it like, G? It wasn't bad um, for the crowd that was there. I thought it was pretty loud. I mean, look, the team gave us something to cheer about, so that was nice. Usually uh, these last few home games, we've always kind of started off a little bit slower. So, yeah, I'm sure it was a little bit louder. But attendance-wise, wasn't that impressed. Um, I mean, 13,892, that's the lowest attended crowd we've had all year. And look, there's going to be some things we're going to talk about later in this episode of why the students didn't show up. And it's not because it's Thanksgiving weekend. I know Thanksgiving weekend has never historically been a great uh, attendance for students, but uh, there's some other underlying reasons that we've discussed during the week. We've discussed uh, in other matters of social media. And um, I think we need to address it today because, uh, you know, we, we it's almost we're beating a dead horse, but yet it keeps coming up. And it keeps coming up, and it's to the point where now, in my opinion, it's starting to become unacceptable on one side, and it's not well, the students. It's like the mascot thing, Jerry. 
And the reason we post it every single day is because we're going to post it until something changes. We're going to keep talking about this crap until something changes. It has to change. Or if it doesn't, we're dying a slow death. I mean, you had one, one guy from ULM trying to talk attendance smack when he had about 43 people in their stands a few weeks ago, right? But the, the, the fact of the matter is, let's talk about this honestly. We're, when you're looking at attendance in the Sunbelt Conference, we're at the bottom competing with ULM, just like we were competing with them for the last place team in the conference. So you you have to take a step back. And uh, the, I don't know the answers, Jerry, and I don't know the reasons why things are the way they are. We hear rumblings. We hear rumors. We hear that there's some kind of, you know, you feel like athletics administration is trying to push things, but you're hearing that maybe the administration on campus is trying to hold things back. You you hear rumblings or not rumblings, but you see with your own eyes that someone in the university administration that was not fired, but hired from Mississippi State, their fans were excited for the fact that we were taking them out of their university because they were just nothing but a problem at Mississippi State. And now we hire them and have the same problems that were they were having at Mississippi State prior to them coming here. So where there's smoke, there's fire. And 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 again, I don't know the the behind the scenes stuff, but from an outsider's perspective, you look at this and say this doesn't make sense. Something's got to give. Well, the problem is that number one, there's no transparency. Okay, from what we've been told, there's no transparency with the student body. They're just enforcing rules and enforcing all these things, not even communicating why. Number two, they're inconsistent with the rules that they're enforcing because one day the rules apply, the next day they don't. Number three, another issue that I've heard is the fact that. The, the 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 students in the Greeks feel blindsided by this, and it's to the point where, again, I've said this, and I'll say it again, and I'll keep saying it until something gets fixed. This is your future alumni. This is your future donor base. The same people that you're kicking out and sending cease and desist orders, these are the same group of students that you're going to be asking in about 10 years to donate money to your foundation and donate money to your school. So why would you, why would you pardon my French, but take a dookie on the hand that's going to be feeding you in about 10 years, especially when these are the ones, these are the students that are showing up to your games. They're the ones that show most of the school spirit. They're the ones that wear the raging Cajun gear around town. Why would you try to burn the relationship with the ones who are promoting your brand the most while being students? Well, help I me think there. first, of, Please, oh, well, help first of all, I think that you got it wrong because they're not going to ask them to give money. They're going to expect them to just magically give money after I mean, I can count on the the number of times on one hand how many times I've been asked to give money to the university or athletics. Never, okay? So they're not asking. They're just expecting that people are going to just give. Unless you have, you know, if you're a big name in the city with a lot of money, then they're going to come out, you know, with their hand 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 out there waiting waiting for, for a check, and they're going to wine and dine you. But we've got to get out of this this thing where we think only the big donors matter. Because a lot of little donors equal big donors. And right now, we don't have a lot of either. And so we've got to start. I mean, we should have been doing this 60 years ago and cultivating. the. We talk about culture, cultivating the culture, but also cultivating the young Raging Cajuns to eventually become old Raging Cajuns. But you hear it here and you hear it from our fan base as well. We've got an aging fan base. And what's scary is that aging fan base is is you know they're going away slowly unfortunately because life happens and everyone passes away that older fan base is going away and we have no one we have no plan zero plan to to backfill that instead like you said we're discouraging people from wanting 
to support the university. And some there were there was a little back and forth going on to on today between our barstool account and and some people, and they were saying. Well, you know, you, sh you shouldn't, you should still show up. Well, they couldn't show up to the tailgate. They were le literally told they could not go. Why would you go to the game? If you're told we don't want you, why would you show up? I wouldn't show up if, if somebody told me I don't want you there. And by the way, don't give you a reason. They just say, we just don't want you here. To tell our students we don't want you there is downright crazy to me. And to literally not only, not just not encourage, but discourage your students from showing up to the games is is insane that that is borderline and no, that's not borderline that is downright insane and playing tug of war with the student body that is again showing school spirit and the one showing up to your games you're you're you're, you're playing with fire when you do that so before we go any further jerry i just want do you want to give like the backstory because we're just kind of talking about this and, pro and and didn't give the reason why you do you want to talk about that? Yeah, let's do that. And uh, we've got Josh. Josh came to uh, volunteer to produce today, and Josh was at the game. Uh, Josh, if you don't mind, kind of give us you you, you kind of have an idea of the backstory as well. Um, you may want to help me out here a little bit. So basically, Rage and Review received an anonymous email, uh, most likely from a Greek that there were some cease and desist orders for uh, from uh, what five fraternities on campus without any communication of why and not only are they have a cease and desist but they're not allowed at any university events for a year uh there's a bunch of things that they cannot participate in and i think that includes student tailgating if i'm not mistaken right josh is that what uh i guess i don't know um i don't really know i got a, i got an email from a guy and if i really wanted to i could probably find out who he is but my my opinion on this is somebody needs to file an, a Freedom of Information Act against the university so we can find out exactly what's going on. Because we keep getting these tips from different people and at different levels of the Greek uh, organizations. And this is where we're at. The last time that this came up, we made a big stink about it. And the university retracted. They acted like we, we made this big thing out of nothing when in fact it was known by many people at many different levels of the administration, the UL administration that this was going on. So I don't know, man. I, I mean, I think we knew that they weren't going to be there, but the tailgate was a ghost town. I took a picture and put it on the internet about how completely empty it was. It was shocking. Honestly, I don't know if I've ever seen it like that since they moved it to the practice field close to the uh, indoor performance facility. I, I can't tell you I've seen it like that ever before. But as far as the crowd goes, I was actually shocked that 13,000 people showed up. I was expecting half of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, the atmosphere was not bad for the crowd that showed up. Um, and I think there were it was, there was some extra people sitting in the upper deck. Why? Because, of course, this is the last official game. Uh, Cajun Field can now officially close its doors on the west side. Uh, this was the last official game in the upper deck, the press box. So all of the memories since 1971 have now come to a close. Uh, starting on December 11th, the west side will uh, be demolished. I think it's a 60-day process for the entire west side to be torn down um, in order for the new Our Lady of Lords uh, renovation to begin. Uh, I do know that also... If you did go to the game, you received a commemorative poster as well as a commemorative, a few uh, commemorative Cajun Field uh, drink coasters, which we got a few of those. So uh, I'll be using those as a, as a memory. I uh, got to say goodbye to our, 
our seats for the last time, especially the chair next to me with no bottom. Got to say goodbye to, to that seat as well. But uh, I thought it was a little bittersweet walking out of that stadium for the last time. Um, you know, it, it's that that structure's been there for so long, but, you know, all good things must come to an end. And we just kind of know that even though this structure is coming down, I mean, look at what's going up in place of it. And so uh, if you want to keep traditions alive, if you want to keep traditions renewed, that's how you do it. You, you, you renovate and you just take what you've had in, for a long time and just make it better. Kind of like the Teague, right? The Teague's magic is still there and it's in a palace now. So hopefully uh, this Our Lady of Lords Stadium structure could create that same type of magic and aura that we've seen at Cajun Field uh, for the last 53 uh, years. Yeah, and I'm upset. I actually planned on going in and not telling anybody, but, but you know, Thanksgiving stuff happened and People didn't leave till today, so uh, trying to trying to get there in two hours wasn't going to work for me. But um, yeah, uh, like I said, I mean, I'm not that bittersweet about it because I I actually had to sit in it for many years and it was crap. And um, Audio Brian, who sit, who would sit up and do all the audio, he he actually shared some pictures of what it looked. like. I mean, they still had technology with like vacuum tubes in there like for the for the audio like that's how bad it was and they tried it there was no like they never pulled anything out they just kind of like almost like duct tape stuff together to to make it work until you know they would eventually bulldoze it and finally that day has come but let me tell you man uh again i'm probably cut 20 years off my life because of asbestos they probably still have uh in that building yeah. And you know, it's, it's again, we we've, the thing is we've talked about this for the last 10 to 15 years on when are they tearing down the upper deck? It's kind of the same thing with the Teague. Whenever my cousin was getting recruited, like in 2002. And I remember he was getting recruited to a new stadium and 15 years later, they finally got it done. I kind of felt like it was the same thing. Like I was a freshman in 2007 and I remember them kind of discussing renovations to the stadium back then. I mean, they, they put the end zone seats in, in 2014, almost a decade ago, to prepare for this moment. So uh, sometimes the process is a little bit slower, but finally when you get to that finish line and get to the reality that it's getting done, it's like, man, we've waited a long time. And then, you know, you still creating new memories in between then with the uh, the beginning of the HUD years, the Sunbelt Championship, being playing in, in a stadium where our team was nationally ranked for the first time in school history. So even in the last 10 years, Cajun Field has had its own share of uh, historic moments, but you know, like I said, it's tough to say goodbye to something we've known for a long time. But at the same time, to your point, Nick, it's like, man, it's it's so long overdue. So, um, you know, thanks for the memories, but we're ready for something much, much nicer that's coming. Do you remember years. do you remember the original renderings that were like, I mean, yeah. it almost looked like the Orange Bowl. I mean, it was like double decked on both sides. It was yep. all I mean, it, it was like fifty five thousand people. That was that was amazing. <laughs> it was that was in the nineteen sixty eight. USL yearbook. I, I was able to get a picture of that. My dad was a student at the time. And I remember looking at his yearbook and I, because they were playing the, still playing the games at McNasby stadium at the time. And, and one of the football section of the yearbook, they showed the renderings of Cajun field. And, and like you said, it, the whole bowl was filled, uh, all seating and then two upper decks instead of one. And I believe, and I don't know the, the history of this, if I'm not mistaken, when they built the stadium, I don't know if the state ran out of money or they just kind of cut the project in half from a funding standpoint or something, but that's how, that's why they built it the way that they did. And then if you notice on the other side of, on the East side by the student section, you can see the way the, 
kind of like the cinder blocks are that was supposed to be for the upper deck on that side but they just never built it so for like 50 years if anybody wonders why you saw like the way it was structured by the lights the the cinder blocks it was because that was supposed to be where the other upper deck was 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 expected to be built and they just never did it and um you know th there's a lot of interesting history to this stadium uh i'm just glad that it's getting the facelift that it's been needing for the last probably 20 to 30 years. I mean, let's be honest. My wife and I were talking about it on the way back to town this morning before going to the game. You know, it, it's, it, it's, it's, again, it's bittersweet, but even my wife was like, look, we've, if you look in the, around the conference and you look at what the other, uh, the other schools are building, I mean, South Alabama's got a new stadium, App State's renovating their stadium, Coastal renovated their stadium, Georgia Southern renovated their stadium, Texas State redid their stadium, and we're stuck with, what we have now so yeah it is nice to finally see that we're catching up with the joneses and honestly we're probably going to be one of the nicer stadiums in the conference once everything's finished not just this first phase but both both sides of cajun field well yeah and to your point jerry uh jesse longclo asks does anybody have confidence we'll get the stadium right i think so i mean look at look at what happened with the Teague. once you commit the money once you have the funds in hand and then you you turn that over to the builder, the contractor. It is what it is at that point. And, and so, yes, I do think they're going to get the, the stadium right. Um, as you mentioned, Jerry, it, this is only phase one. Phase two will come from the other side where the press box will be. And if I'm not mistaken, they're going to flip the field. So the home side is going to be where the press box is going to be, where the student section is now on the east side. That'll be the press box area. Um, so lots of changes coming. Do I think they'll get it right? Yes. Um and 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 then he asked, why are we always late? Because that's the way we do things around here, man. Uh, <laughs> that's, you, you right into it. You ran right into that response. <laughs> that's the way we do things here. I mean, I, I'm not lying. It, that's the way it's always been. I mean, we were talking about the new Teague since I was a student in 2000, you know, whatever. And and then this this, you know, we carried out until whenever. And we finally got it built. But when we got it built, we did it right. So you have to give credit to the fact, look, the softball stadium there's a lot to to be that that didn't get done right in that stadium. And I think they might have learned from their mistakes there where they were trying to cut corners. I don't think they're going to try to cut corners here. I think they're going to do it right, Jerry. And one other thing uh, before we go that uh, or move on um, the uh, the football stadium when way back in the day, do you remember when the brick facade on the student side actually collapsed before one of the games. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Am I the only one who remembers that? So I'm not joking. We it was it was like two hours before the game, and there's like a, a brick facade, obviously, on the back of the student section, you know, where you walk in. Yeah. And there was a part of it that totally collapsed before one of the games. Wow. Yeah, I didn't want I, to be in the press box at that moment. I don't <laughs> like remember at any that. point that played. Yeah, there's a there's a miracle that the fact that the whole stadium didn't just collapse at that time. Um, but I I was there and I do remember it. You may have been too young. I mean, this was like I was probably still a student when that happened. No, I mean I I I definitely would. I came to the games back then, so but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I remember for the longest time you couldn't even walk to the other side of the stadium because there was no walk. There was no pathway to walk right. behind the hill. It was just grass. And so that's why nobody sat on the hill because nobody really thought they could sit on the hill because it was just a patch of grass just lying there. There was no, there was really no connectivity from 
from the east side to the west side and vice versa. And then they finally decided, I think Gerald Bear went and raised money. He was like, we got to get an easier way to go to the other side of Cajun Field. And uh, they went ahead and raised money and built just a sidewalk on each side. And I thought that was a, that was a big deal at the time. Yeah, it was a big deal at the time. Uh, look, there were so many things in that stadium. I mean, I remember they saw the Red Dot Club, or not the Red Dot Club, but there was something, some club, but it was just a room. It was like a storage closet that was like a big exclusive thing. If you had the membership, you got in and got a, a, some cookies and some Pepsi, I guess, at the time. <laughs> cookies uh, and because Pepsi. Katie and a bottle, yeah, Katie and a bottling was like a big part of it. So I don't know. I just, I, there, there are so many things I remember from, from that stadium that uh even though there are memories there i'm ready for that that side to be torn down and, and move forward man I'm, I'm all about change for the better and i think it it was way past time that we do this if you look at our facilities the cajun dome renovation lampson park the teague or russo park the track and field earl k long it's become a pattern that we've done a pretty good job or a very good job renovating our facilities and athletics. Uh, you know, then we have the athletic performance center. Uh, I know they have plans for, to tear down the Cox building. They're going to turn that into like a tailgating promenade, which is going to be perfect once that gets done. I mean, that's going to be perfect for our culture. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, in the future with the TE, they're thinking about probably raising money for the clubhouse, which is going to be a state-of-the-art facility as well. So there's a lot of things on the horizon down the pipeline for Raging Cajun athletic facilities. That's just going to be, it's, I mean, we're going to, our facilities should be the crown jewel of the G5 when it's all said and done. And so look, I'll tip my hat off to the athletic administration and the university for that. But on the other hand, the other half of it, and I don't mean to sound like, like I'm being negative here. The, the, the next part is, okay, so you built these facilities. Now you have to be nice to the fans so they can fill those facilities, right? Right. Uh, again, there's this expectation that people will just show up. And that doesn't work. I mean, again, it's like the university doesn't ask for money. They they expect people to give money. Like, we, they've got to do the work. They've got to stop roadblocking. They've got to stop hiring people who are known to do what they do at other at other universities and then you hire them away and and it's like hiring it's like hiring a head coach when you hire a head coach from another university you look at their message boards and you see what they're saying and then you know if you have a good hire right if they're very if they're sad they're leaving or they're congratulating them and moving on and then you have a good idea if they're saying thank god they're gone then you have a problem and that's that's the point I'm trying to make with this. And I'm not naming names because I'm not going to do that. But there was somebody that we hired from Mississippi State that was known to 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 have very tense relationships with the student body and was in charge of of the Greek life and and all that stuff. That that when they left and we hired them, you look at Mississippi State, you know, fan forums, and they're like, "Thank God we got rid of them. Thank God we don't have to deal with them anymore because they destroyed everything." That tells you something right there. Now, again, I don't know if that's the root of the problem because this goes back so many years. But when you're at the point of and look, we got more students than Greeks on, on campus. So they got to figure out not only about the Greek thing, but about just getting students. You take this big, huge picture at the beginning of the season on at the stadium with all the freshmen showing off how you had this record freshman class. Then you have 20 people out for a football game today. There's a problem not only with. The fact that you have a terrible relationship with the Greeks and you're suspending people and not telling them why. 
And you've also got the problem where you're not even attracting your own students to come to the games. And look, uh, you know, people call us a commuter school. That's BS. We've got students from all 50 states and, and multiple countries. I don't believe the commuter school thing. So I get that attendance is going to be cut because of the Thanksgiving holiday is every year. But you can't tell me there are more, not more students in the Acadiana area that could have been tempted or prompted to come to the game today. There, it, it feels like, again, nothing was done to entice them to come. They were just expected to show up, even though, you know, the Greeks were banned from even going. You still got other students that nothing was done to even attract them to the game. So there is so much stuff that needs to be done. But then if we give suggestions, we're just being negative. So, well, how, how can you encourage people to come to the game when you're telling a good portion of your student body that they can't come to begin with? How is that encouraging other students? If I'm a student, look, and I wasn't a Greek, but if I find out that Greeks aren't allowed to the tailgate, that doesn't sound too much fun to me. Because now no. I'm worried if I go to the tailgate, well, if they're not letting Greeks go in the tailgate, how are they going to police the tailgate? What am I going to be allowed to do and be or be uh, or, or what am I going to be allowed to do and not allowed to do? So why should I go to a tailgate if I know that the Greeks aren't being invited and they're banned and all that stuff? Why as a student should I go? Because I'm going to think, well, they're going to police that place hard. I'm not going to have any fun. But I mean, they're my friends. Like if I'm a student, I got too. friends who are Greeks. I got I'm friends that were Greek. because yeah, right. I sure. wasn't a Greek. I was involved in athletics. But you know what? I would go hang out with with my friends who were Greeks. Same here. Because they had the best parties. And so it was why would I go? We went to their house. Exactly. Why would I go? Exactly. So yeah. something's got to change, Jerry. But will it change? I don't know. I, I feel like we still are going back. And, and I hate it when people say the Jerry Baldwin era because we're never going back to that. I don't care how bad things go. There will never be a Jerry Baldwin era ever again at this university, hopefully. But the thinking of the university administration, not the athletics, the university administration feels like it stuck still 20 years ago when we couldn't get anything done. We couldn't push anything forward. We couldn't think outside the box. The culture of can't, like you've always said, it's almost like the folk. And look, I am so proud that I, uh, you know, I was a part of a, a now an R1 university, right? And and that's great. But Dr. Savwa said that athletics is a front door to the university. Well, we're not acting like that right now. Right now, we're acting like they're the backyard. Like the university is up front and athletics are out back. But you've seen what it did for JMU. I cannot wait to see what the statistics are on the, the enrollment increase because they were on college game day. App State had it. It was a ridiculous number of increase in, in, in freshman enrollment because of one game day appearance. So if you don't think that's that's legitimate, then you're crazy. Like you have got to think forward. So I don't know what's holding the administration back from embracing everything. Obviously, they're committed. Now they're committed to the stadium moving forward. But this business of just trying to make it harder for people to want to be a part of the culture and athletics is is just it's really disappointing. And, you know, it's like like DAF. I know how you are, who you are, by the way. People want to feel like they got a deal. Right. And we've outpraised the casual casual fan. Perfect example today. Fan shows up at the stadium, wants $10 tickets. They're told, sorry, you have to do it online. They're 25 here. 
<laughs> like, are you kidding me? And even if you do the and now, now I think they eventually got the $10 tickets online, but like you had to go to a certain site. You couldn't go here. You couldn't do that. So it was so difficult for you to get the $10 tickets. I mean, like we even made that. We make everything so difficult. Another it, thing it, it's, but another thing is too, Nick, and I say this as a university standpoint, and I know the liability argument, right? Well, the students, it's a liability if a student gets hurt and all that stuff. And I get that. I totally understand it. But every school goes through it. Any business, look, I can walk into your house and trip and fall and hurt myself, Nick, and, and get a lawyer on you if I wanted to. That's just society today. That's how it is. Everywhere you go, any building you step into, there's going to be liability. We need to quit being afraid of our own shadow. Stop being scared of our own shadow and just understand that, that that comes with the territory. It's life. Anything you do is going to create liability. We need to stop being afraid of our own shadow and understand that some of the decisions we make, it's going to, there's going to be risks to it. And, but at the same time, look at the reward that comes with it, right? People showing up to your games, people showing up to your events, being the talk of the town. I mean, what, why, why are we afraid of that? What, what are we afraid of? Right? So that to me, we just have to, to me, part of that is self-esteem. Part of, I said it last week, self-esteem, self-confidence, and we need to quit being afraid of our own shadow. We do that. I think a lot of that can change. It's a mindset, Nick. It's, it's the way we think. No, I get that. Hey, Jerry, so I'll ask you this. Do you want to get into stats or do you want to take yes. calls? Because it looks like we have a couple of people who are waiting to talk. Absolutely. And look, here's what we'll do. We'll get into stats. It'll kind of open up the door for uh, for calls. So yes, Josh is here. He's He's, uh, he's on the boards today. He'll be taking your calls on Twitter space. Please request to speak if you'd like. Uh, if you want to comment, continue to comment here uh, on, on the, uh, the comment page. Be more, you're more than welcome to do that. Any feedback's great feedback. So uh, let's get into the stats real quick. Um, again, Cajuns victorious over ULM by the score of 52-21. to 21. Cajuns record now sits at 6-6, six and 3-5 six, and five overall in conference play. They will now await their fate in a bowl game. Uh, so let's get started. I'll get to the basics. So uh, for starters, uh, passing yards, Cajuns had 246 passing yards. ULM had only 86 rushing yards. Cajuns had 230 yards on the ground. ULM had 153, which equaled total yardage. Cajuns, they outnumbered ULM tremendously. Cajuns had 476 total yards of offense. ULM had As I mentioned earlier in the game, uh, earlier in this, um, in the post game, Chandler Fields, 18 of 20, 246 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, He also rushed for six rushes for 38 yards and one touchdown. Uh, Like we said on the Twitter feed, Chandler Fields, take a bow. Great day for Chandler at the helm. Uh, How about Elijah Bill Davis? First appearance since UAB. Bill Davis, uh, of course, the running back from Riverside Academy, he's going to be the future of this uh, rushing attack. Something about Elijah's, you know, whether it's Elijah McGuire, Elijah Mitchell, now we have an Elijah Davis. So that's going to create more, more stats. I mean, if your name's Elijah and you're a good running back, come to Louisiana. Today, Elijah Davis, as we all know him as Bill, 14 carries, 109 yards, two touchdowns. In my opinion, he, he and Chandler, I'm going to give both of them game balls, great games for both Chandler and Bill. Jake McCabody, uh, 15 carries, 55 yards, one touchdown. Good to see Mr. Cabote on senior day get into the end zone one last time at Cajun Field. And Zylan Perry, three carries for nine yards, one touchdown. He also was able to get into the end zone today. Uh, receiving notes, 
Neil Johnson, throw it to the tight end, right, Josh? Three receptions, 67 yards, two, two touchdowns, including a leap over a ULM defender, which caused Cajun Field to shoot fireworks. So, I mean, he created highlights that weren't even touchdowns. It was so great that we shot fireworks in the stadium. <laughs> also, two um, receiving yards. Jacob Bernard, another great day on the field. Three receptions, 52 yards, no touchdowns. But Terrence Carter, three receptions, 37 yards. Pete LeBlanc on senior day, one reception for 22 yards. Great catch. It was, that was a Sports Center top 10 play. So uh, not bad to round his out his career at Cajun Field with a Sports Center top 10 reception. Charles Robinson, three receptions, 22 yards. Jaden Johnson had one reception, 16 yards. Pierce Meagle, one reception for 10 yards. Jacob Cabote, one reception for nine yards. Caleb Carter, one reception for seven yards. And Travion Colbert, one reception for four yards defensively Jalen Clark led the team in total tackles seven total to total tackles he had a half of a tackle for loss Casey Osai had seven total tackles two solo uh, Tyler Guidry had four total tackles two sacks two tackles for loss and uh, rounding that out Ty Lewis four tackles uh, four solo tackles as well um Overall for ULM, I'll just give some quick stats for ULM. Really not, not a good day for the Warhawks, which is great for us. Of course, again, they had 239 yards of total offense. Um, rounding out their stats um, offensively, uh, their starting quarterback, Jire Wright, six completions, 10 attempts, 66 yards, one interception. And uh, their backup quarterback came in for a few snaps after Jire Wright went down. Blake Murphy, three completions, 10 attempts. Uh, 20 yards in one interception, 86 yards in the air. Great job by the Louisiana secondary today. Uh, their rushing attack, Bennett Galloway, 16 carries, 87 yards, no touchdowns. Charlie Norman had six carries for 24 yards. And Isaiah Willard, five carries for 21 yards. Receiving Tyrone Howell, two receptions, 40 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Nolan Quinlan, three uh, receptions for 18 yards. Alfred Luke, or Al Alred Luke, one reception for 16 yards and one touchdown. And uh, rounding out the ULM defense, Max Harris had 10 total tackles. Eight of those were solo. And uh, Aiden Huntington, eight solo tackles, two sacks, and five tackles for loss. Pretty much there. that was their defensive player of the game. Not really much going for the ULM Warhawks. ULM finishes the season 2-10. and 10. Uh, They currently have a 10-game losing streak going into the offseason and 0-8. and eight in conference. So a uh, total opposite result. Uh, it's good to see that we're on the post game today. Again, I, I remember go coming back from Monroe last year with a 21 to 17 loss, wondering what the heck happened. Well, they scored 21 points again, but instead of only giving up 17, we were able to score 35 more and win this game by the score of 52 to 21 as we close the curtains on Cajun field. All right. So let's take some calls. We got uh, some guys, uh, some callers waiting in the Twitter space. Uh, Josh introduces my friend. Mr. Boudreaux. A great call last week. Hoping for a good one this week. Floor is yours. Thanks for requesting. First thing I want to tell Mr. Davis, if you're going to be a running back for the Cajuns and you can go by Elijah, don't go by Bill. You need to go by Elijah. <laughs> it's good. It worked. It, it worked out well. It's good luck. Exactly. Huh? Yes. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I wanted to say, um, just um, watching the game, the seniors, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but Peter LeBlanc, humble kid. He's played 
since he's a true freshman. He got a COVID year. So he's probably played in more games than any other Cajun. He's played 12 games for five years. He's had three championship games and three bowl games. I don't know if anyone's ever played in more games. You think anyone's ever played in more games over a Cajun career? Yes. Justin Venable played for like 30 years, yeah, but that's did. the only other person I can think but of. <laughs> he did, but he did not play. He did not play in every game like that, though. Correct. You're right. He had You're years, right. but he was hurt. He was hurt. He was injured. He yeah. didn't play all the games. Correct. So anyway, I just was just watching the kid. You know, he's very humble. I mean, like, I don't know. It's a senior night. A lot of kids, it's senior night, and they're putting in all these freshmen, man. I don't know. I just thought that they did some seniors wrong tonight, like leaving them out for quarters at a time. When you got the game in hand, you got a guy that led your team in, in, in receiving yards in 21 until he got hurt. And as of last week, when I looked at stats, he was leading the team in receiving, and it left him on the bench like half a game. I didn't get it. I didn't get it for a senior, just for a kid like that that gave his heart and soul for five years to this program. I thought he deserved better on senior night, which I think. Now I can see that, man. Um, I, I I can honestly tell you I didn't notice. Now, were they trying to – I mean, we still have a bowl game to play, right? So were they trying to hold him out because they want to make sure he doesn't have some stupid, you know, strain his Achilles tonight? I don't know. Maybe maybe that was a thought process. But so, um, I would have hoped, I hoped every – I, I was just gonna say I would I would have hoped every single senior on that team had some had some significant playing time tonight. If not, that's yeah. that's yeah. not cool. I thought I thought as a senior I, I kind of watched that tonight. I thought as a senior he probably had less time that night than he did every other game this whole year, which has made no sense to me. But anyway, is a bowl game a definite for us right now? Yes, I think so. Yeah, it should be. But okay, I, will so I say- thought there might have been too many teams eligible for the bowls that they had available. No, right now they're actually waiting for teams to get eligible because they need extra teams. Yeah, so actually that's a good question. So I want to give you a little fun fact. Uh, If anybody has doubts on whether or not the Sun Belt is the best G5 conference, get this. 12 out of the 14 teams are now bowl eligible in the Sun Belt conference. So uh, that should should take away any doubt on whether or not we're the best G5 conference out there. Does that put all 12 in a bowl? That's my question. Well, here's the thing. As of right now, yes, because there are some teams. So I think there's 82 bowl spots. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, there's about probably five or six bowl spots left out right now as we speak because there are games being played right now. So there's about four four to six teams right now that are trying that with five and six records that are trying to become bowl eligible. So we'll find out by the end of the night. I mean, look, the last game that's supposed to determine that is Hawaii versus Colorado state. They don't play until 11 o'clock our time. So uh, we'll know by tomorrow morning, whether or not uh, there's a bunch of teams that are in there or if they're left out. I know GMU uh, had a, uh, one of the GMU fan uh, accounts had one of this, this chart on whether or not who's eligible or not, because believe it or not, if, if there's not enough bowl eligible teams or six win teams, JMU and Jacksonville state actually will qualify and be eligible to uh, participate. So um, I've been kind of following it closely, not because of us, but just because it's, it's just fun. But as of right now, I would say uh, I'm pretty sure that we've uh, we should secure uh, a bowl spot by now. And of course we'll find out more about that tomorrow. Once uh, the rest of those games are being played. Okay. One last thing before I get off. So tonight I shut down since 1996 inspection UF right there on the overhang in the first six rows. I'm a last game there, guys. I've been there since 96. Love it. It was tough. It was horrible. I took family. I raised my kids there. My kids were there. My first kid was born in 2001. 
2003 and 2005, and I raised my kids in that section. We'll never sit there again. It's kind of a rough night going out tonight like that. That's okay. It's cool that you have those memories, man. That's a, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Have a good day. All right, Thanks, brother. Thanks Al. for calling. Take you care. know, the first the first memory I have at Cajun Field, I wish my, my dad, my dad, bless his heart, is 88 years old, so he doesn't remember which game it was. But I went to a game, I must have been like two or three, because it's very, very vague. But I remember, the only thing I remember of that game was sitting in the upper deck, because it was it was packed. And some kid, who was a little bit older than me, stood up and started doing boo. And I was like, who is this idiot by himself screaming boo when the other team comes out? I'll never forget that. I don't know why, but that is my first memory as a kid in Cajun Field, I love. I wish I could figure out which game it was because obviously it was a big one. I mean, we were sitting in the upper deck; there were people all around us. But I cannot remember that. I gotta. I don't know. Maybe I need to go one of those hypnotists that do the the thing where they you know re- relive your memories from when you were a child and maybe put it together. But but that's my first memory, and that was look. I mean, that was like 1981, 82. So that was a really long time ago. Believe it or not, my first memory that I can remember was 1993. I was four years old, and that was homecoming against San Jose State. Jeff Garcia, and that was Jake's Jake Delhomme's freshman year. That was the year we went eight and three and won a share of the. Big West title. I remember sitting with one of the assistant coaches' uh, family. The, one of the assistant coaches at the time, Jerry Beach, were good friends with he and his family. He was, uh, of course, Jerry Beach was a linebacker coach here for a long time under Nelson Stokely. And, um, you know, th- those that whole coaching staff watched me grow up. And I remember sitting with his wife and his daughter. And uh, it was, I think it was an, under the overhang of the upper deck, believe it or not, similar to where my seats are now. And um, I just remember. The, the stadium was kind of dark, like the lights was kind of, were kind of dark like it is today. And I remember it being pretty cold and muggy, but I remember the crowd just being, it was packed. I want to say that day, uh, there were probably around 27, 28,000 fans. It was, at, at one point, it was a top 10 crowd before uh, the HUD years came and, of course, washed away a lot of those crowds back in the 80s and 90s. But we did end up winning that game, and um, I do remember just uh, – I just remember the stadium being a little bit older, even in 1993. So um, that was my earliest memory, and it was great because we won the game. So one of the funny – now, I've got some bad memories, right? I've got memories of uh, Dr. Hockeppel breaking his ankle in front of me. He was – you know, he so he was uh, the leader of the of, of the band, the part yeah. of Acadiana. And so he got up and he conducted – he would always do the pregame con- conducting of the, uh, the, the national anthem. Yeah. And when he came down off of the the uh, riser, his foot caught between one of the steps, and he went down and he fell, but his ankle stayed between those steps. Um, we there was there was a student worker, Kimmy Kim, at the time. She turned completely white because she when she saw that. And then there was in the spring game, I don't remember who it was, but one of our running backs literally broke his leg in front of me, and you heard the crack, and that was not cool. That was during the HUD years. Um, but, but it's fun listening to, or seeing memories like, like DAF has about, uh, kids on the student side. I mean, DAF, if, if you know who he is, he, he gave his life to UL for many, many years, not only as a kid, but as also in administration and, and working in there. And, uh, so it's so cool to see people who are chiming in, you know, Jesse Longclo talking about Brian Mitchell running all over Lamar. That was his first game. Um, 
It, it's just really cool to see people who really DAF. Is that who I think it is? Oh, yeah, it probably is. We'll talk oh, about it after. <laughs> I, I, yep, yep. I know who it is. What's up, buddy? Good to good to hear from you. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 just great to hear all everybody's perspective of of the you know the when the first time they went to Cajun Field, the things that meant a lot to them because everything means something different to everyone. And like the kids standing up and booing in 1982, you know, when I was three or four years old, like that stands out to me for some stupid reason. Uh, everybody has that memory that has gone to Cajun Field, um, which is really cool. Terry Johnson, thanks for joining us today. Hey, and before you go, I know you're going to talk about the game. I would just like to say for the record, I thought we played the exact same game we've played for the last six weeks. We just played against a really, really bad football team. That tapped out in the third quarter, and then we dumped a bunch of freshmen on the field. Uh, I just wanted to say that before you go. So I, I assume that you probably have a, a similar thought, but go ahead. I was literally going to uh, start out <laughs> with saying. <laughs> well, we played the exact same. We put the ball on the mat a couple times. One of them went back for a touchdown. We did. We, we, we played the same dumbass defense that we played. We, we did exactly. Yeah. We played the same exact way. We just so happened to blow out a bad team. Yeah, I mean, uh, and look, this honestly, this game, it should have been basically what we should have done to Southern Miss with the exception of Frank Gore Jr. wasn't on the field today. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just the truth. We played a bad team. Um, I'm happy for Dez. I will. I, I, I love Dez. I'm happy we got his win. But we can't fall for fool's gold like we did uh, back when we played North, uh, Northwestern, you know, earlier this year. Uh it was, it was a great win. I, I love it, but it be bad. we beat a bad team. I personally, I know a lot of people don't view them as a uh, rivalry game, but I hate ULM just from like, you know, the, I have a prior high school teammate that played ULM, and last when we lost, he was all over Facebook, all over social media, talking trash. Like, he was the only one because, you know, I know we have a bad showing at games, but they, they, their fan base is very low. I mean, my mother used to, went to ULM. <laughs> she barely even talks about them. Well, that's so. why I'm glad that Mike didn't sit on a knee like everybody was saying to do. I'm glad he ran up to score on those bastards because they have no business talking about us ever. The fact that they even get exactly. to play us is, is is something that they can hang their hat on. That's a privilege. It's, it's a privilege <laughs> to even walk into our stadium coming out of that stinkhole town. So I'm glad that Mike drove up to score like that at the end. One of their their like one of their only fan uh, fan Twitter accounts that they have tags us. Did you see that earlier? Tagged us in talking yeah, about attendance. I'm saying, are you? Do, do you not see the irony in this? You said OnlyFans, and that got that threw me off. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not that. One of their only one of their only fan accounts that exists starts. Yeah. They tag Rager Review, and they're like, "Oh, and he's fake. Let me, and he's let fake. Me, yeah, let me, they did. I, I don't know. Is there more people in the? What is it? More people on the sideline or in the stands? And I pulled up the picture of their game against Troy. Where you could literally count the number of people in their in their grandstand and, or their home side, and he goes, "Oh well, uh, that, but but y'all are playing for bowl eligibility, and our game was cold." And I'm thinking, all of your games look like that, no matter how good or bad you are. What are you talking about? Like, unless Grambling comes to town and drives the 30 minutes and brings 20,000 of their fans, your stadium looks like that all the time. Heck, your stadium looks like that when we come to town, and you could we you consider us a rival, so. What are you doing talking to us about attendance? You want to talk about basketball, baseball, and softball and other sports while we're at it that we basically embarrass you in in attendance? How can you bring up attendance to us? I mean, just, you know, it's like Peter Griffin. Yeah, you, you know what, you know what grinds time. my you gears? You're giving them too much, too much ammo. 
I yeah, said, exactly. Come on, just, man. That, just don't even. Yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh. I know. Come on. The guy, the, you gotta give then, him too much, man. I was gonna say, then I turned the tables against him, and then he started talking about my flat bill cap in my picture, and I'm like, that if that's it, man, then if that's all you got, I I got nothing for you, bro. Yeah, but but yeah, I I, I was I was happy about of course the win. Uh, I hate I hate ULM. I think Chandler played amazing. Um, I'm happy that him and all the other seniors chose to wear the Dominion white. I I, I appreciate them and. Uh, a lot of those great players could have probably transferred and played any other team, uh, but they chose to stay and play for the Raging Cajuns, so I'm, I'm happy for them. Hey, they threw to the damn tight end, Josh. I know you're happy about that. Two uh, TDs. Hey, listen, T, this is, a, this is a thing with Chandler Fields. He looks for the tight end. I, and I, that was, hey. I have it written down. I was going to bring that up tonight. Uh, look at this. The patterns are real. I mean, he looks for Neil. Yeah. He looks for 86. He, he looks for the tight end. Yeah. I, I wish Pierce would have gotten a touchdown. I was really hoping for him to get a a touchdown on senior day, but, but but I'm happy. I'm happy he has got a reception today. Um, uh, defense got some good takeaways. Uh, that all, all the the running backs ran hard. Bill Davis is awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, what can you say about the O line? The O line has, in my opinion, been the most improved uh, position group uh, since last year, and I think they will continue to improve. I think we recruit very well at that position and coach very well for that for that position. Um, okay, that's the positive. I'm gonna get to the negative, just so Jimmy says that I'm never positive. Can't say that I was never positive. All right, y'all, y'all okay? We're going to the negative. Go ahead, shoot. It wouldn't be it wouldn't right. be a call from you, man. If if they didn't have some negative, you can't call in and be positive all the time. That's not your forte. Come on. Hey, I I, I call it how it is. All right. So I think is it just me or is it earlier in the game? Did y'all think that ULM was just gonna continue to run the ball on us and we couldn't stop it? It was hundred percent. It was scary. Yeah, like it felt. It felt like Lamar was just gonna stay in the same defense, not adjust. And I felt like, oh, it's gonna be another long day. So that was. A, I'm happy eventually we got it corrected. And you know, I think ULM went away from the run and started passing. And I'm like, why are you? Why are y'all passing? I don't know what. I don't know what Terry about the thinking. I don't understand it. I, if I was, if I was ULM, I would have kept running the ball until we stopped it because we just honestly just couldn't. Hey, um, you know what I think changed that? When we went, when they got what? the fumble touchdown, we were third and I think four or five, and one of their linebackers tip a ball what? on third down, and uh, I don't remember who made the catch, but somebody makes the catch, and we end up getting the first down off of it. I think if we go three and out right there, and they come back with that running game and continue to run it down the field on a short field, I think we're in trouble. Probably. Also, I do remember... Do y'all remember when it was? They put the uh, running quarterback in the game, and it was third and long, and it was a we went cover zero, and I'm like, oh, have a spy, and the part of like the red the touchdown. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Uh, You're talking about the play where they they oh, called it back on the, the 15 yard fi- the face mask. Yeah, on the face mask. I was like, have a spy. I, I was saw like, it. Thank I God saw it, it before they hiked, they hiked the ball. Yeah, I was like, what are we doing? Like, how, is nobody on that defense see that they got the running quarterback in the game? It's third and long. You know they're going to call a draw. That was very frustrating to see. Um, I mean, I, uh, we have great running backs, but coach, the running back coach, uh, coach Matt, Matt Bergeron, I, he needs to go to. I don't know what he's teaching these guys, but they they keep carrying the, the the ball like a loaf of bread, and it's not just a Zylan Perry thing. Yes, he has the most fumbles, but Bill Davis fumbled this year. Dre Washington. I don't know if Cabote uh, fumbled this year, but we have a fumble issue throughout the entire running back group. Yes, Perry has fumbled the most, but 
the running back, but coaching at the in the running back room has to improve. It can't. It's not just a single. I think player. I think it's an overall coaching issue. Y'all disagree? Nope. Uh, yeah. Anytime there's a pattern, you go back to the guy that's in charge of teaching them technique and fundamentals. Yeah. I mean, because we never had this issue before. With I mean, I know, I know. Of course, we had Chris Smith has issues, but like, I don't think we had this many issues when you had you know Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis and Raymond Colley in the backfield. We didn't have this this issue. Even when Chris Smith was alternating, you know, carries, you know what I'm saying? Chris Smith uh, had fumbleitis, but I think I think Trey went like his entire career fumbling the ball one time or something crazy yeah. like that. Do y'all remember that? He, I think so. Who are you talking about? Um, Trey Regis. Trey Regis. I don't, I don't remember that. He might have. It was something crazy. It was like one fumble is an entire career. I, I'll look it up while we're talking, but it, I agree with Terry that obviously there's something up and down that that run back room where. Hey, we got we got to take care of the football. Yeah, uh, so so I mean that, that was that was pretty scary to see. And I don't know, early on early on in the game, defense didn't really have that much intensity as they kept driving the ball down the down our throats. I mean, Cripple brought it up early in the season, looking at like the lack of intensity on the defense side of the ball. Later on, as we started getting more stops, you know, the intensity started getting up as the scorecard started going up in our own favor. But as ULM kept driving the ball, I just I didn't see as much intensity on the defense side of the ball. Uh, that unsportsmanlike conduct, I think I'm more mad about that unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for uh, the gentleman that got the interception, and he went over to throw the ball in the sands, and the coaches tried to stop him from doing it. I think I was more pissed off about that than anything. Yeah. That, in my opinion. You know what? The the fact that um, at halftime, Dez actually said something about that gave me a little bit of confidence that it's something he might address in the future. We know he's a player's coach. I mean, I don't think there's any question about it, but the fact that he brought it up made me feel good. Like that gave me the warm and fuzzies inside. That's like, okay, at least he acknowledges the fact that we were undisciplined and we have to get our crap together. So, and and, and plus it, it helped me out too. Yeah. And plus there was a positions coach out there that was screaming at him after he did that. I mean, that, that, that's not going to fly around here. And now, for us, it's not going to fly. I was wondering how they would respond as a coaching staff, and I think they did a good job doing that. So I will say kudos to them for at least calling them out on that BS because that's not how we that's not how we do things here. Hey, hey I, I'm all for public shaming. I remember when, and I remember, uh, for sure a lot of players remember that we had a pick. Justin Anderson had a pick six against Nichols State, and he threw launched the ball. I don't know if y'all remember. He launches the ball into, into the, the stands. Yeah, I remember that. Into the hill. And Coach Hud was furious. And we were laughing. We were laughing about it. Like, other players were laughing, but Coach Hud was not happy. Like, Coach Hud was not happy that he did that. I mean, we, of course, we beat him like 70 to something, seven or whatever. But, yeah, like, it, that's that, that stuff just can't fly. And, and the head coach has to address that. And I'm happy he said something about it. I really am. Uh, and, of course, how can you forget? Uh, I'm not, I, I can't, can't, uh, on the pod without uh, talking about how poor the attendance is and you know I know we're beating a dead horse but the administration just has to do something address somebody has to at least address the elephant in the room and call people out and changes have to be made uh, at certain positions whether it's in uh, you know Martin Hall or wherever it, it just it has to be addressed and it's really poor because those those players deserve better in my opinion that coaching staff deserves better as much as they, I know they hate hearing an old vet like me 
complain about the team. You know, they do deserve to be supported. Again, Terry, look, the, the reality is in college athletics, unless you're one of like 20 or 30 teams in the country, you're struggling with attendance. I mean, we saw Miami had nobody at their games, a home game, right? We see a lot of, quote, power five teams that are struggling with this. But the question to me is, what are we doing to attract those people to the stadium? And and it just feels like a disconnect from, and look, I, I, I am critical of administration on both athletics and the university at times because I just don't know where that disconnect is. But when you look around and you see that nothing is being done, like there's no, this week there was like $10 tickets and they made a little bit of a push and I give them credit for that. But we're going to be back here next year talking about the same stuff all over again. And maybe that has to do with turnover because like I said, and I still think that this is a stepping stone job for anyone, right? So all these people we hire in athletics that do something, they all move on which is fine, but the problem is you lose any connectivity that you've had when you start replacing people. So I feel like you've got that on the athletic side, and then on the administration side, they, they're they obviously, again, it seems like they're almost forcing us for, or forcing people not to want to come to the games. It's mind-boggling. I don't understand it. I don't know why we're still here after so many years. You thought you got over the hump with the HUD years, but it's almost like they rely on their head coach to be the marketer. And if if the head coach like Des is not a, a marketing guy, he's not going to go out there and put himself out and be forward and ask people to come to games. If you don't have a HUD, it's like they're like, well, we that's it. We don't have anything else, so please come. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, no, you know what they should do? They need to hire that. Uh, what's the guy that tests the, tries the food in Lafayette? He's from New Orleans. Uh Oh Gerald, yeah, the red guy. Oh no, oh, Gerald, Gerald Grunick. Grunick. Yeah, yeah, Grunick. Yeah, yeah. Get that. Get that guy to like promote this. I'm pretty sure you get that guy as like your hype guy. You hire him. You pay him. Like I don't know. You find some way to uh, to get a contract going. He like have him hype up your home games, basketball, football. He he he's a huge personality. That's the guy you want. It, it doesn't have to be somebody dude. with. That's 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 my dude, man. I love Gerald. But instead, instead we hire people who who the other school is excited to get rid of them. That's who we hire instead. Martin Hall yeah. could hire Taylor Swift to get people to the games, and they'd figure out a way to keep their damn fans out of the stadium. The fact of the matter is, is they hate the people that go to the games. They do. We've learned this. This is a fact. They're gonna continue to keep the riffraff out. That's what they want, and that's what that, you see how successful they are at keeping people out. They're doing a hell of a job. But Josh, what I don't understand is T. Joe is a is a fan. Like, if I don't know if you've ever sat by him during games. He's a couple times, actually. His wife was, bless her soul, she was like a huge UL fan. So I feel like they want them to succeed. I, so that's what boggles my mind is that you know T. Joe wants this to be to be successful, but like we still are stuck in the Audemont days. I. I don't get it. Like, what has changed between when we committed so much money to Napier and we we committed so much money to making us successful, and then now where we're doing everything we can to push people away? I don't understand what's it's, happened in such a small small time period. It's sustainability, Nick. I think the problem that we have is you have administrators that think because we've won, oh, we're winning now, or we won a few years ago, that that's going to create sustainability when it's not. Uh, what we've seen is- Complacency. 
Well, it, beca- it, it turns into complacency. So in other words, because we had one or two magical years, well, people are just going to start showing up. Well, no. The reason why the app states of the world attract 40,000 fans is because when they were in the FCS, they won three national titles or four national titles, however many national titles they had. They only had three losing seasons in a 30-year span. They beat Michigan, which was considered one of the largest upsets in college football history. They have a culture in their town that revolves around their football program. You have a coach there that created a legacy for himself that uh, that that was that has become a legend there. I mean, there are so many factors that go into uh, drawing fans. It's the same reason why our baseball and softball teams attract fans to to Lampson Park and Russo Park. It's not because the baseball team and softball team had one good season. It's because we're constantly winning, constantly competing on a national stage. That's what attracts people. Not one or two magical years, and then you go to six and six, and then you wonder, well, I don't know why people aren't showing up to our games. If we did this for 20 straight years, we would have 25, 30,000 people on a regular basis. But instead, we it's like Nick said about the, the tours, how we should be promoting, uh, doing promotional tours around Acadiana and these seven or eight parishes. We do it one time and expect everybody to show up the next time. And that's not how it works. You got to create sustainability. And until we do that, it's going to stay the same. And then we stop. If it's not successful, we we just quit. Right. But but if a 20-year-old kid could start this thing at at Teagmore Field back in 20, you know, no, not even 20, 1998, start this thing where he does woohoo, and then you develop a woohoo crew, and then you got people expecting it after certain things happen in the games, and then you have the, you know, Homer things, and you have all these things for 20 somewhat years that still continue to this day that when people show up, they expect to happen. If some 20 year old kid can do it, you know, 25 years ago, why can't we do it today? And I think that's what's, what drives me nuts is the fact that Rob didn't have excuses. He said, this is my vision, go and do it. And we did it. That was it. He just said it and he said, do it. And we did it. But we have no, it feels like we have no vision. And that's, I mean, it's so dumb because two years ago, three years ago, we were nationally ranked and getting all this attention and we did nothing with it. I think they have a vision. Their vision is rice. Their vision is 2010 SMU. A few, a few people, a few people pay all the bills and you can control those few people that pay all the bills. It keeps the riffraff out. Like Jerry talked about liability. They're They're terrified of liability. The, the fewer people you have in your events, the, the sm- smaller your liability is. It, it, that, that is one of about 7,000 layers that we have to this problem. But the fact of the matter is, is they don't try because they don't want to try. And that, that's where I'm at on it. Sorry to, but we kind of went long on that, Terry. No, 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 it's all good. I mean, like, like I said earlier in the season, you have to have a mission statement. If you have any business has to start with the mission statement, like what is our goal? Like I, I'll give I mean, I'm not going to get preachy, but for any church, right? I don't care what, you know, uh, not that I don't care, but if you just imagine any Christian church, right? If you're a Christian or not, what is the goal of this church? To win souls for Christ, to save as many people, right? Uh, Bring as many people to your, you know, congregation and, you know, you know, pray over them, you know, save their souls, blah, blah, blah. That that is the mission statement of, of a church, a basic church. It doesn't have to be that, you know, complicated of a thing. Like, what is your goal? To bring more fans to the game. Okay, what can we do? And you, you know, make subcategories of what do fans like? What do they want more of? 
okay, uh, Wi-Fi, better parking, uh, better concessions. All right, how are we going to do that? It's a simple, it's, I, I think that's just a simple, simple act of your entire organization of having a mission statement. But Terry, they're so, I'll tell you, I'll stop you now because I'll tell you the reason why we don't do that is because we are so scared to fail at whatever mission we put down on paper that we just don't put that down on paper. That eh, That's the truth. We are so scared that if we say we're going to do something and we don't achieve the results, we don't get them, we just won't do it. And that has been the same since I was, again, 18, 19 years old to today. That has not changed. It is, it is so ingrained in our DNA as a university that we would rather not try than fail at something, which is crazy to me. That is true. By the way, breaking news. So Alphonse Boudreaux had asked earlier whether or not the Cajuns are, uh, do, do they have enough bowl spots available? Well, it's official. Uh, Cajuns, because of the circumstances of the amount of bowl slots at 80, uh, bowl, bowl slots available to 82, um, with the number of games left being played, uh, even if, I think there's five games left of teams of whether or not they're bowl eligible or not, uh, even with those wins, or even if those teams become bowl eligible, that will make it all at 82 slots. So it's official, everybody. The Cajuns are in a bowl game. So yes, the Cajuns will be bowling uh, come next month uh, due to the circumstances of all the, the games being played right now. So for the sixth straight year in a row, we're going bowling, Nick. Well, look, we've been negative on <laughs> on the direction of the program for so long tonight because, again, the reason – the negativity comes out is because we all have ideas of how we can improve things, right? The fact of the matter is we did not, th this season is not how it, we feel it should have gone. We feel that this is a disappointment, but I guarantee you the seniors on the team, all the players on the team are excited to go bowling. They're going to have a good time. Hopefully there's no, you know, pregame altercations with the other team as we may or may not have those had Those are the last best, year. man. Those are the best. Those <laughs> pregame fights on Bourbon Street with San Diego State, East Carolina. Oh, those were those those were those were awesome. May or may not have happened last year. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh hopefully we don't have that this year. But look, every single one of those players are excited to go bowling. They're gonna get some cool swag depending on where they go. I mean, I know you they used to give out like PlayStations at, at certain, you know, bowl games and stuff. So I'm excited for for them. It's disappointing for us as fans because we expected so much more out of the season. We know the talent we have on this team and we just feel like we weren't, we weren't, or, or they weren't given the opportunity to, to, to succeed as much as they could have. But the fact of the matter is we're in a bowl and, and let's, you know, what Jerry, Josh, you guys give me a take on this. Like if you're not competing for a new year, six bowl, like at that point, what does it matter anymore? Like with NIL, with the way things are going, with with the loyalty not even being a thing, if you're not it, getting bowl eligible, uh, again, outside of being in, in a New Year's Six Bowl, what does it even matter anymore? How do you got like, I guess I'm I'm becoming apathetic to the fact of, of, of the way college athletics and college football in general has has become just a bidding war. I I, I just feel like, you know, outside of just making a bowl game, there's not really much else for me to cheer for. Okay, yeah, I'll take it. Sure, I um, don't care about a bowl game. I'm just to be honest with you. I mean, 
We are two years removed from a Sunbelt Conference championship, 13-1, and one, nation's longest winning streak, top 25 ranking, et cetera, et cetera. We can go down the list. We're two years removed from that. We have a very talented roster. Uh, we have for the last two years. Last year was a little bit more tumultuous, but this year we played the 121st ranked strength of schedule in America, and we are 6-6. Six and six. I'm sorry. I'm not interested in trying to paint that as a success. It's a failure. It's a total failure. At minimum, eight and four. I know that you went through three quarterbacks. Number one, Zeon should have been your starting quarterback from day one. We said that a million times on this show. Maybe by the time week six, seven comes around, you know, of course he got hurt, but just let's act like he didn't get hurt. He's way, in my view, he's further advanced as a quarterback. Not that he didn't play well, but maybe there's a few different things that happened that changed the Georgia State game. You know, you you win that Georgia State game, it's a totally different season. Um, and then you feel differently as a team. You have momentum that changes the way guys are confident in their in their in themselves and how the coaching staff prepares and things like that. So, just to say, and then you go to Chandler Fields, who I guess shout out to Scott Watkins. Uh, you know, he was a super he was a super experienced third string quarterback, and he's played his best football. I mean, look at today; he set a school record for completion percentage. So he's played his best football down the stretch of his what could be last season as a Raging Cajun quarterback. So it wasn't that we didn't have the guys that could produce. There was a reason why he won the, the, the job coming out of camp a couple years ago. The guy was capable. There's a reason why Zeon was in the mix You know, the last two years. He, he's capable. We have talented guys at each level. There's no reason why we're 6-6. Six and six. I mean, if I'm, I, I'm just it just... You want to look at a couple of four or five plays throughout the season and you can say, yeah, we could have been eight and four. But yeah, but that didn't happen because good teams find ways to win those games. We found ways not to win those games. It could be coaching. It could be lack of confidence in the team. It could be lack of discipline. I don't. There's a million things that you can blame it on or, or say this is why. The fact of the matter is we've played our entire season. We are who we are. We're six and six. We're mediocrity. We were what we were last year. And the fact of the matter is you cannot continue to be stagnant. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. This team got worse. And they should have been better. There's Nobody can give me a reasonable uh, explanation as to why this team wasn't better. Our offensive line improved, as Terry mentioned earlier. Offensive line found themselves early in the season and continued to get better and better and better. I would even argue that our defensive line continue to improve throughout the year. I blame the defensive coaching staff for not putting them in the position to succeed the way they should have. Uh, but but to say that this team didn't underperform is just you're lying to yourself. So a bowl game? No, I don't care. Yep. And, and I'll go back to the old saying, close only matters in horseshoes and hand grenades. I don't care. I don't want to listen to your, well, we're, we're two plays away from being this record, but we're not. That's reality. I don't I don't deal in what ifs. I deal in reality. And in reality, like you said, Josh, we are not where we should be. And with the talent we have on this team, when you look at how deep we were at running back, how deep I mean, name another school who has depth at quarterback like we have. There is none. I, I cannot I, name one. No. No. It's shocking, really. No. If you stop and think about it, third third string quarterback coming in and setting school records, thank you. Un unheard of. With all that talent on the roster, you're still hoping you beat ULM to make it to a bowl game. That is coaching to me. It has been, we have said it through this entire season. It has been about consistency. It has been about coaching decisions. It is about game planning. It is about being, putting ourselves in a position to win. 
That has been the common theme through the entire season. We have the talent to win here and be very successful and be have nine or 10 wins instead of six and six, but we have not put it together, not because of the talent we have on the roster, but because for me, and I think we share this vision of the coaching and not being able to put ourselves in a position to win. That is, I'll take that hit all season if you want to put it on me, but I think that to me has been the differentiation between the the current years and the Napier years. Look at our peers. We've beaten yep. one team with a winning record. Correct. In two years. I, I think the one redeeming quality of going to a bowl game for us right now is winning the bowl game. Not just because you want to hold up the bowl trophy, but if you win the bowl game, you secure a winning season at seven and six. Now, if you would have told me before the season seven and six was good enough, no. But at the same time, I do think that's something you can build on into the offseason. Now, the tough decision comes in, in my opinion, when Dez and Dr. Maggard sit down at the end of the year. I'm sure they have their end of the year meeting. And whenever Dez looks at his coaching staff and looks at what uh, the body of work that that was produced this this year, there's going to be some tough decisions that are going to be made in that athletic performance center. And I don't know exactly what the decisions are, but this is where we're going to see what this is where we really see what type of head coach Des is. It's not the decisions on the field that he's going to make. It's the decisions off the field in the offseason that he might have to make. He might not have a choice in making. And look, some of the hires he made, a lot of those coaching, uh, a lot of the a lot of the coaching staff he hired. A lot of those guys came from the Napier era. Some of them, I mean, he played for George Munoz. You know, we I love Coach Munoz. He played for Coach Munoz. He played with Lamar Morgan when he was uh, when he played for UL. So Des has a lot of personal ties with these coaches. But guess what? In the business of coaching, there's going to be some tough decisions he might have to make with some of these coaches. Now, I'm not saying anybody in particular. I don't know the decisions or who needs to go and all this other stuff. I know fans have their opinions on it. But that's a decision or decisions that Des is going to have to make. And it's not going to be easy. But if he wants to be the head coach that he can be, that's part of the job. You know, you got to take the friendships and relationships out and you got to make some tough decisions here. Results oriented business. You got to make it. It's soul searching offseason to me, Josh. I know we got a couple people in the uh, queue. You want to go ahead and uh, let it rock? I, I do. I, I make real quick just to say off of Jerry's. I think the number one redeeming factor is the fact that we'll get 15 more practices. That's something with a young team that you you covet. I mean, that's something important. At the point. same time, I'm not going to allow myself to start talking about six and six being a, a positive for this football program. Well, it's just, not. There's it's, no way. It's even, not. even even if we go to a bowl game and win a bowl game in seven and six, and we win, we, we have a winning season. You can look back and say, yes, it was a step of you know a step uh, forward in the program under Des because we finished with a winning season. But at the same time, I don't expect any changes after a winning season. I don't expect any changes on this coaching staff if you end up with a winning season. Well, I, I don't think so. It, uh, well, I mean, look, that's up to Des. He's the head coach. And well, look, I, there's I'm a just lot of issues. The optics are not there. But, but Josh, there's a lot of glaring issues we see, right? Y'all talked about it. Some of the games we lost. Why did we lose them? We didn't lose because the other team was better. They might have been better that day, but what? there were a lot of self-inflicted mistakes we made. There were a lot of fundamental mistakes that we made in these, in these six losses that – a lot of it, some of it goes to coaching. Actually, a lot of it goes to coaching. So that's, you know, if we go six and six, or I'm sorry, seven and six by winning this bowl game and 
and and there's no changes in the offseason. Well, that to me, that would be a red flag because obviously there's something something got you to those six losses. And it wasn't because luck just happened to fall in every other team's lap by us losing those six games, right? A lot of it was uh, was us. And when you lose that many games and it starts to add up and you're losing and five of those six losses were the teams, or I think four of those six losses were the teams that you were favored against going into the game. It's not because the team pulled a, a got, got lucky that day and beat us. It's because there were things that we didn't do and we lacked. And a lot of that goes back to the coaching. And so I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, that we're going to see, we're going to see what type of head coach Des really is in this off season going into his third year and whether or not he decides to make changes or what type of uh, what type of analytics he sees in his coaching staff or data he sees in his coaching staff to uh, to move forward next year. Because, look, the schedule, we talk about the easy schedule this year. I mean, look, the, the, the schedule next year is not going to get much easier. It's not. You, you got Tulane. You got Michigan State. Um, I mean, you've got some tough teams on that schedule, a lot tougher than this year. So. Uh, if you want to improve and and have a record better than six and six or seven and six or six, even maybe six and seven, you there's going to be some some maneuvering in the offseason that's going to have to be approached if that if if we want to see improvement there. Coach Lou, you've requested to speak. Sorry, it took so long. The floor is yours, sir. Oh man, you guys are good. Uh, I was just listening in. Uh, first off, I want to congratulate the guys that's on here, man. Congratulations on you guys, uh, you know, against the bowl game. Uh, I had one to say, I think somebody said something about the bowl game thing didn't matter. I know for, for most, you know, as you guys know, getting to that six wins, that's that's pretty vital. Uh, that's a pretty pertinent thing. And then, you know, for the team last year, going through that, that, adversity, that, that adversity that they went through, they still were able to achieve that and get to a bowl game. Kind of similar situation this year, maybe not as much as a turnover as far as the player players go from that aspect, but dealing with injuries, they were still able to overcome that and get to a bowl game. Now, I know the guy early, I'm not sure what your name is, saying I, I get that, that the optics of that having to beat, you know, ULM to get there, I, I do get that, but it is what it is. A lot of times, we got to be able to operate in operate in reality. For me, I'm a young coach myself, so uh, I find myself having to do that a lot. You have to operate in reality. The game is never played on paper. As far as the coaching thing goes, I'm pretty sure there's not going to be any crazy wholesale changes. As far as the coaching staff goes, I, I just I just personally don't see that. Any I, I agree with you. I think you're right. Yeah, because there doesn't need to be like whoever the gentleman was said that there doesn't need to be because it was a winning season. It wasn't what, you know, I'm pretty sure it wasn't what the goal was set out to be uh, in the beginning of the season. But at the beginning of the season, you didn't have injuries. Things happened. But going back to the coaching, it's not really necessarily always a coaching thing. It comes down to execution. Some of those losses happen in any losses, in any sport, happens because of a lack of execution. Now, yeah, like you said, it happened four times. But those are things that, those are things you look at in the offseason and those things change. Um, last season, that wasn't really, you know, the main issue. There was a lot of turnover, and I don't think a lot of people on here understand being able to to operate with that much of turnover that happened already. We're going to, you know, the guys went into this season with the team that they had. But one of the things I wanted to get on and talk about, kind of more of a positive note, man, is really the future of the, the future of the program. Because there's a lot of guys that stepped up. I know for that I saw personally with my own eyes. Um, and then tonight, a lot of younger guys that stepped up that are going to probably 
or I, I would assume have a bigger load going into next season. So obviously starting from the quarterback room, going into the receiver room, there was a lot of a lot of improvement for sure from that room. And some of those guys were younger guys, uh, Charles Robinson and and um, Harvey Broussard specifically. Those guys, you know, those guys stepped up. Robert Williams as well. Because I think at this point, I know a lot of people, you know, they start nitpicking things. I, I you know, I kind of tend to, to do the opposite with the other side of the coin, do the devil's advocate and start looking towards the positive. A lot of those guys weren't really expected to be, you know, huge contributors, and they did. They stepped up and they did. Same with Chandler. Uh, like I said on Twitter, you know, for the guys that don't get to see him at practice, Chandler practices and preps as he is the starter literally every day. That's what he does, and you guys were able to see that in uh, the proving his labor the last few games. Elijah Davis, Zion Perry, I know you guys were talking about the fumbles earlier, but I'm sure those guys get that cleaned up soon. Those are young guys, like I said, as well. But those guys started shining broadly towards the end of the season as well. And again, uh, going back to what the gentleman said about the extra practices, that's also a positive thing, too, because these guys are still able to play um, later into this month when, you know, that, that isn't the case for everybody. But, yeah, just getting into the positives with that. Uh, obviously, the quarterback play, you know, I'm not exactly sure who's staying and who's leaving and things of that nature. But, you know, we do have, you know, I, and coach or not or wherever I'm in somewhere else, I'm still a fan of this program. And that is pretty exciting to, you know, to go ahead and look into that future, which is, you know, not too far off. You know, we have Zion returning. I believe Ben is coming back. I'm not sure if that report was true or not. So, of course, you know, you have that, you know, that competition. And I'm sure uh, Terry and the rest of the guys on here, you know, you guys are going to have something to talk about in all season on who's going to be a starter things of that nature, but, you know, and then even on the defense as well, the defense was top 10 in the nation. Well, actually, top five, top three in the nation, in fact, for, for a majority of the season early on, that's another positive. A lot of those guys that contributed to that are coming back as well. The secondary, a lot of those guys didn't play much. They got the experience. A lot of those guys are coming back. So, schedule or not, I don't really care about the schedule. Michigan State or whoever, uh, maybe on some of those teams, those programs aren't great. You know, so we, we're looking at an opportunity to do, you know, even better uh, to expound upon what was done this season. Um, so I'm kind of excited for that. I know the season is, is, is pretty much over now, but uh, just looking forward to that. It's, it's pretty exciting, man. Um, I think I think the program, the team itself is going to be a lot better. <laughs> I can't speak for the fan turnout. I, I'm going to be honest. I think it is what it is. Uh, like the other guy said, I, I don't know what it is. And like you said, there's other programs. It's the same thing. Yeah, Miami is a perfect example. I just don't know. I, I just think, I'm going to be honest, I just don't think uh, the residents like football. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know. But, man, it's, it's, it's just really exciting thinking about the future of the program, uh, seeing that those guys that, that contributed, a lot of those younger guys, knowing that I'm pretty damn sure they're going to do even more going into the next season. So that's pretty exciting for so, sure. So to build on that, one – we we I, I I think our residents of Acadiana does like football. They just for some reason don't show up to our games, and that's a whole another conversation. But number two, yeah. I'm glad you pointed out the fact that that we had some people who contributed and will in the future. Cooper Fordham at center tonight. We did not mention his name one time, and that right. is a good thing, right? That means that he did his job. And, and as a freshman, that is impressive. So 
I uh, the future there is good. I, I was a little bit worried coming into the game, but the fact that we didn't even talk about it or mention it today tells you everything you need to know that he did his job. We're not oh, worried, yeah. Coach Lou, about about the talent in the future of this team. I think we're worried about about two things. I think we're worried one about the coaching strategy going forward. I think we saw some gaps there this season that if we made some better decisions coaching-wise, we could have been in a better position to win. And two, like you said about attendance, I think we have some room to grow there and to improve, but they don't want to hear But you know that. what's weird? Um, something that's weird, I, I was talking to my wife before. I remember when the team was ranked, I'm going to be honest, there still wasn't, you know, you expected full capacity, but it wasn't yep. even at that time. So I don't even know what it is. I do remember that. I, I'm not sure what it is. As far as the coaching stuff, I'm not going to ever – really too much speak on that because I'm a young coach myself but like I know I know for sure the fumbles like everybody saw that the fumbles you know that was the issue and like I can tell you I promise you that they're going to work on that for sure but I'm just thinking of the the the, the uh, guys meshing a lot of the guys were young and it, that's not an excuse that's it, it is what it is it's reality and like I said the same as the defense the defense a lot of you those young guys stepped up and again those guys are coming back so I do expect you know, I do expect a lot better, um, for sure. As far as the coaching stuff, I know we always we always want to say coaching, but it's not that all the time. Like like I said, it, it, it's an execution thing that may not always be exactly a coaching thing. You know, the things that happen on the field happen on the field. It's just an execution thing. Um, and there are small things. It, it, it's not huge. It's not a huge thing. It's not huge detriments at all. And those little things are things that get fixed in the off season. So obviously, the upcoming off season. Like I said, I know those things are going to get fixed on those. I don't think those come about from, like I said, huge wholesale coaching changes. I don't think that. I don't think that happens. Um, I would be surprised if it did. I should say. Now, as far as the execution, I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't exactly know 100, percent but I do know that because those four or five games, it, it, it's really just a game of football. It's not really just this team. Everything comes down to really two, maybe two to five plays. I'll say two to five plays. And whoever executes those, you know, the most really usually comes out the winner. And that, obviously that's what happens. The, the turnover differential, you know, a lot of times that decides the game too. So once when that gets fixed, which I'm sure it will, then, you know, obviously you'll see a, a different result for sure. So question to you, and this is, I'm not going to go into whether it's, it's personnel or whether it's coaching, but do you feel like we are underachieved this season? Because I really do. And I think that's the... That's the main I know a lot of, theme. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure because I don't – those guys, I know those guys don't look at it like that. They take it a game at a time. I guess on the outside looking in, I know people were saying eight, nine wins, something like that, which that was realistic. Again, injuries happen. Injuries, like, that's like, that's what it goes back to what I said. Like, when it comes down to the come down, the game ain't played on paper, and you have to operate in reality. In reality, you know, yeah, you could say, you know, they should have won more games, but – at the end of the day, they finished with, you know, they finished with a running season. They fought through that adversity, which they just did last year. I think being able to fight that adversity and still come out on top speaks volumes to the coaching staff and to those guys. And eventually, which not eventually, I'm, I'm speaking around next season, those things, those things will matter and those things start clicking. And, you know, hopefully there isn't much more adversity to fight through. You know what I mean? The only thing, and again, I'll be nitpicking. I, the only thing I would say you know, yeah, you can, you know, speak to the fumbles. I think also 
you know, if Zion is a starter going into the beginning of the season, I do think that, you know, you may see him being more of a passer. That's really the only thing I can say because, you know, seeing him in practice, you uh, you guys, I, I can guarantee you guys haven't seen his best yet. Not even close. He hasn't even scratched the surface as far as that goes. I guess I would say, you know, more drop back passes for him because I think he's, I think he's very capable. He's a, a, a very special, uh, a very special young man. I think him passing the ball more, I think that, that that's going to help a lot more going into next season. But again, he had, you know, he had full control of the reins in the spring. And then when he stepped in, he did what he had to do. So now he has, you know, another year on his belt. I think that's what's going to make a difference as well uh, from an offense, you know, offensive uh, point of view. For sure. Appreciate your thoughts, Coach Lou. Hey, look, we're six and six. A lot of positive, a lot of negative. It's exactly, it's right oh, straight, yeah. like you said, winning squarely the in game, the middle. Winning the bowl game, for sure. That's, that should be pretty exciting. Good deal. All right, man. We appreciate you. Appreciate you still listening, man. And hope, the, last hope you all the, best. Say, the last thing I'll say, man, because I already know y'all going to do it. Because <laughs> I think Chandler, I think, oh, uh, not Chandler, I think, I, I think, you know, there's going to be that quarterback controversial thing again and i know you guys are going to be on top of that <laughs> watching that oh you can believe that <laughs> yeah hopefully it's not man hopefully it's not i would be honest i like you know you have to always remember like these are people these are real human beings you know so whether it's ben or or zion you know obviously you know and then it's, it's other i think there's other um exciting battles too because even i think with uh bill bill uh, i believe his name is right coming bill in Davis. from uh Catholic yeah. High. yep yeah, like I, I would just assume like on paper he and Lunch would be, you know, battling for that quarterback three. I know it's quarterback three and people don't think that's, you know, exciting, but that is exciting because those are two talented young men too. So like that, you know, that's that's pretty exciting as well. So that's something to keep an eye on. Oh, well. Beal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. I thought you were talking about the running yeah, back uh, room. Daniel, but... Daniel. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, following that yesterday. Yeah, he just had a, a hell of a game uh, yesterday actually. So Beat yeah, John Curtis. that was pretty cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and you got lunch back there too. So that's that's gonna be fun. And if anybody's wondering what Coach Lou is alluding to, breaking news came out this morning. Ben Wooldridge will return uh to the Louisiana football program in twenty twenty four. So again, we have a lot to talk about about the the quarterback battle come springtime. Should be interesting. All right. We appreciate Coach Lou very much. And anybody else who wants to speak, please uh request to do so. Mr. Andre, I know you've been waiting a while and I apologize for that. Floor is yours. Thanks for requesting. You know, going back to what y'all said earlier, that apparently Greeks weren't allowed to tailgate or some shit like that. And, you know, whenever I was in school, I was part of the Greeks. I was also part of the Student Government Association. I was also part of, like, four or five of the programs. And our biggest issues were always with the administration. And I mentioned the last time that I called in, but, like, there's two people that, you know, I'd love to get rid of, you know, not because, you know, I want them to go into failure, but because they prohibited so much. And, um, that biggest thing, you know, if you have your Greeks not showing up for tailgates, you know, how else are you going to get students involved? And I looked at a student section and I told my wife, I was like, man, this is, is horrible, you know, for the last game here at this beautiful stadium. But that goes back to, you know, even bigger question. How does the university identify themselves? Do they want to be like a student heavy school? Do they want to be a, well, the alumni don't have anything better to do this kind of school or do they want to be, you know, and everyone wants to be here, especially with this new stadium, you know, regardless of the field play, which, you know, I don't want to speak on because everyone else has and everyone else has better ideas than I do for sure. But, you know, how are we going to get people in the gate? Like, do we need to be 
student focus, which I think, you know, would certainly help, but do we need to appeal more to alumni, appeal more locally? Like that's got to be a big question that we look ahead to. I'll give you my, my two cents on that, Andre. First of all, we need to quit having creating civil wars within our school against the students and the Greeks. That's number one. Okay. Again, these are people that are going to be your, your donor base in the future. These are people that are going to show up to your games. They're the ones that produce the most, the most school spirit quit, quit dumping on the, 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 the portion of the student body that is showing up to your events. Number one, number two, if you want to go after a certain demographic in, 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 in Acadiana, first of all, we're a blue collar we're a blue collar region. I mean, we, we don't, we're, we're not, not all of Lafayette is River Ranch and no disrespect to River Ranch, but not everybody has that kind of money that could just give you a 10 to $20,000 check and, and expect to fund your athletic program. Now, luckily we do have a few of those donors who can do that, but at the end of the day, most of the people that are going to fill your seats are hundred to thousand dollar donors. I mean, that's what you're going to get or even less. That's, that's a Katiana for you. It's a lot of it's blue collar. A lot of it includes a demographic who goes when they go to festivals and things like that, they don't spend money. They just want to have a good time, but it's affordable. Most of those festivals, most of those concerts that, uh, Acadiana attracts, they're affordable events. When you're charging an arm and a leg for tailgating, something that you can pay, 10% of at a festival, why would they come tailgate here where they can go to the festival for for nothing, basically, and have just as much fun, if not more fun? That brings up another point, too. Someone else mentioned that the online tickets were $10, but and I paid at the gate myself, you know, it was $50 for myself and my wife. Like, you know, there's that other disconnect, and like I said, someone else had mentioned that, but, you know, the, the school, and I wish I had more power and more say to, to help affect that, for sure, you know. I'm not just here complaining without <laughs> uh, yeah i wish i had more of a, a voice in the school but like that's a big thing like why are you going to advertise ten dollar tickets but only if you buy a ticket master you end up paying forty dollars in fees we have to understand our demographics some more we're trying to turn our athletic program slash uh demand we're, we're trying to create petroleum club inside of something that is not petroleum club we're trying to create demand for something that's not demanded and so in order to fix that, again, you got to make it affordable for the demographic of people that live here. Uh, you can't charge an arm and a leg to tailgate when people aren't going to pay that. They're going to go somewhere else into a festival or Moncus Park where you don't have to pay anything. And again, have just as much fun. That's what one of my buddies brought it, brought up this topic uh, when it comes to UL events. When when people use the excuse, well, there's so many things to do in Lafayette. What is UL doing to be that to do? What, what, what are they being, what are they doing to be that to do as opposed to other things to do in Lafayette? What makes UL the to do? What are they doing to make it the to do? I I don't see it. And look, you've got Top Golf opening up soon. You've got Dave and Buster's opening up soon. You've got a lot more different amenities around town that are opening up. I mean, Lafayette's expanding. That's creating a lot more competition. What are you doing to bring the people to the UL event in lieu of the competition that's expanding? I'll tell you, Jerry, here's the problem. And I'll address this too, Andre. When I was a part of, of the program back a few years ago, there was someone higher up in athletics that we we got to talking and they came from another program and we were just having beers one night. And they told me, you know, one of the reasons I took this job is because we treat the $50 donor like the $500,000 donor. And everyone has a say. Everyone feels important. 
We listen to you. We address you. We talk to you. And that's wonderful. And three years later, they were no longer in athletics. And that happened to so many people in athletics. And that went away. And that was during the HUD years. During the HUD years, we appreciated the 10, the 50, the 100, the 2,000, the, the $5,000 donors just as much as we appreciated the 50 and $500,000 donors. And we've lost that along the way. You cannot alienate the people who give you money no matter how tiny or how big it is. Now, I get it. You're going to have people that get more attention because they give money. That is a given. But you cannot make it a barrier to give money to the university at any at any giving level, whether it's 50, 500, 5,000, 50,000. You have got to treat those people like gold because we don't have the ability to just treat them like crap because we have 100,000 other donors. We don't. We don't have a big fan base. So you've got to treat every single fan that gives money to athletics as though they are the best thing and the biggest thing and the most important thing at that very moment. That is what we're missing. That is what we're missing. No, they got to do that, but they're like, you know, I, I did the math here a second ago on Google. Apparently Lafayette Parish, the parish itself, not just Lafayette, but the parish has 244,000 people plus. And we had 13,000 people show up. So that means that 5% and some change showed up to the game today, which, you know, Grand bad weekend, Thanksgiving and whatnot, but you know, if we had twelve percent of Lafayette Parish show up to the game, that would fill up the new stadium. You know, it'd be twenty nine thousand people. I'll even go a step further. In a thirty mile radius, okay, with like the six or seven parishes, you're at about eight hundred thousand people. Thirty mile radius. I mean that that's literally that's literally New Orleans and the North Shore who go to the games in Baton Rouge or a Saints game, right? That that you can't you can't put thirty thousand people with that many people in a thirty mile radius. You can't even get fifteen to twenty thousand people for that. There's something wrong there, Jerry. Let's go a step further. Acadiana has a population of one million four hundred eighty six thousand people, and we put thirteen thousand in the stands today. You know what that tells me? That you're not even trying. No. Yeah, we're we're talking about this big new stadium, which is going to be. Lester, but it's going to be nicer, I guess, for people that have a lot of money. But, like, how the hell are we going to get people inside the stadium? You know, if we couldn't do it so far, if we can do it Napier, you know, and, and granted, we had that, that you know, Sun Belt Championship game, which packed the stadium, which was great. But, you know, even after and before, it, it was hard to get a full stadium. If we couldn't do that with such a great team back then, you know, how do we move forward and bring people back in? Well, if you're packing 80,000 people into a stadium 60 miles down the road, you know, because they care. And that's, we, we're, we're not giving people the reason to care, the reason to want to be there, the exclusivity of an event. We're not doing any of that. And if you're, look, you know, and I know, living in Lafayette, every time they open a new restaurant, everybody shows up. Now, it may be out it, three, four, five, six months down the line. It'll be out of business. But if it's a place to be and to be seen, everybody will show up. Josh, you've said this so many times. You make it an exclusive event, people in Lafayette will show up. There is nothing that we're doing to make this an exclusive event other than saying $10 tickets show up. 
That's it. And that's you're, all we but got. only $10 you buy it online. Not $10. Right, online. Then you show up, and then you got to pay more. And even, even online, if you don't do the right things, if you don't click through the right things, then it's even more than that. So you've got to you've got to take so many steps to even get the ten dollar tickets that doesn't even make it worth it to even try. And you're and you're creating and you're trying to create exclusive demand for something that has no demand. Again, we're trying we we we're trying to turn like like Josh said, we're trying to turn into rice or we're trying to turn our program into the petroleum club. You know, we're not the petroleum club. We're we're we we are a bar and grill that's what we are we're not ruth chris steakhouse so you know if you if you if it's like building a restaurant if you build a restaurant with a bunch of chandeliers and all you serve are ham sandwiches you think people are going to come back because the chandeliers look nice no you got to create you got to create a reason for people to want to come and you got to make it affordable for people to show up you can't just create again you can't create demand for something that has no demand especially when it comes to exclusivity I mean, it just doesn't make sense and that's what yeah. we're doing. So, yeah, I hope the team figures it out. Yeah, I was happy with the way that it played, but my biggest concern is looking around today, 13,000 people. You know, we're going through this big stadium change. Like, God, doggone, we got to get some more people in here. Yeah, and that was with marketing. <laughs> that was with a push. We got 13,000 people. Embarrassing. Yeah. Anyway, I was signing off, but I appreciate you all the time. Thanks, Andre. I appreciate your your call man uh always appreciate everybody coming in and giving their thoughts and look the same reason why the cajun dome is empty they spent a fortune in renovating this this beautiful basketball arena it's the best in the, i mean it's the best in the state it's best in the south you can't put 1500 people in it to watch a, a good product the reason why is because they never addressed the actual problems they never addressed the fact that they, first of all it's way too expensive it's it's not promoted well the schedules are horrendous it, it, it it's too inconsistent in in many ways with results on the on the court. The same things are going to happen with football. They are not addressing the key real issues at a grassroots level, and they're going to get maybe a year or two of a lot of people in there. And as soon as the newness and the shiny wears off, it's going to be the damn Cajun Dome. The reason why Russo Park this didn't happen at Russo Park is because number one, Russo Park and the baseball field and all that stuff they basically operate outside of Martin Hall. You had a guy like Tony who knew how important it was to have grassroots fan, you know, real fan engagement and fan groups. They ran that that stadium and, and that, uh, not necessarily the renovation, but the the uh, participation. People stayed interested because they had been there for so long and we had good solid schedules for so long. And if you needed something from Tony or you wanted to sponsor him or whatever, it was easy as could be. Whatever it, Whatever he needed, he had supporters that would go out and get it for him. He, they relied on themselves. They didn't go with their hand out to Martin Hall. It's a completely different situation with softball as well, to be honest with you. Softball and baseball, totally different. But the two revenue-generating sports, football and basketball, it's a, complete, it's a complete disaster, and it has been for decades. This is not something that overnight a football stadium renovation is going to change. And, and I hate to say that. I hate to be negative about the stadium. I know everybody's excited, but that's the fact. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about Robe. And look, I will even say in the um, the coach on softball with the L name and, and Yvette, like they did it themselves. It was a grassroots thing, and they still had their hardcore supporters, and they built it, right? And even Glasgow, not to the same level because he's not a local guy, 
but he still it, it's still got that that level of you have coaches who would go out to the community who would who would recruit fans just like they recruit players and that's a good way to say it they but, would recruit but, fans right right and and that's what hud did and and look hud can have all his faults and we can talk about that ad nauseum but the one thing that hud did was recruit fans he challenged people to come to the stadium you know what he did he asked people to come to the stadium he told them instead of tailgating get your butt in he he had that little megaphone he was riding on the on the golf cart and was like get your butt in the stadium he had he had the the testicular fortitude to put it on himself to get people in basketball doesn't do that and now napier didn't do it and we didn't have a sold out crowd for the the championship game now it was a good crowd but it wasn't nearly sold out it was like a record. it should have been. It was right, a it was a record, record, but it was still half half full stadium. Now look, they, Coach Lou mentioned about Napier in the Napier years. We got to remember that Napier had COVID. Then you had the fallout from COVID, and the year before COVID, Jerry, I think what was it? We had one Saturday game, one Saturday home game. That schedule maybe was two. Twenty nineteen, I think we had two or three out of the six home games, five of them were at Cajun field because one of them was in the Superdome against Mississippi, Mississippi state. state. The right. other one was a Tuesday night game against app state. So we had three Saturday games, one of which came the weekend after Thanksgiving against ULM. So really we only had, it was the second week we had one Saturday game and there was one, I think it was homecoming. I think homecoming was the only other Saturday game we had, both of which we had close to around 20,000 people. Yeah, but to close the loop on all this, the the point I'm trying to make is there was never a point where it was the administration outside of a family four pack of McDonald's pushing for people to come to the games. Robe was the man trying to get people to come to the games. Avet, to some point, the guy with the the L in his name, were asking people in softball to come to the games. HUD was challenging the community to come to the games. When you don't have that, then you see, and, and even since Rogue, we still have good attendance at baseball, but if if you don't have somebody that's going out in the community, the university is not going to do it. And, that, and that's the problem I have. They put it on the head coach, and if the head coach is not doing it, oh well. So that's that's to me the most frustrating thing is that we've relied so much on the head coach to not only coach football, but to also be the person asking people to come and challenging people to come and going out. Look, do I think do I think Des needs to be the face of the program? Yes, to a certain extent. I don't think he needs to be the driver of people to get in the stadium. I think you need money and you need support from the university challenging people to come in. When we've had that, we've had people in the stadium. And then Napier comes in and he's a soft-spoken guy and he's not really the guy that's going to go you know, he's not the Sean Elliott type. He's not the HUD type. And then you saw attendance drop. And I get it. We had challenges, but now we've passed those challenges. Other teams have the support from the university outside of the head coach to bring people in the stadium to this day. And then we're struggling to get 13,000 people for our last home game when we're, when we're trying to make a bowl game. So that tells me that they're relying too much on the head coach to do everything and not taking the responsibility and the effort to push this, the, the, the attendance forward. And until they get that together and both you have an alignment from athletics and administration, you're never going to get the attendance that you want.
It's never going to happen. Sending out, and that's a good point you made, Nick, because you know what? Sending out spam emails where you get you get the you get the information wrong on top of that, the know before you go, where you get information wrong is not going to get people to show up. Again, I've said this a thousand times and I'll say it again. In Acadiana, when you want to market to the public, you have to act as if you're running for political office. You got to go shake hands. You got to go kiss babies. You got to go to the coffee shop at six o'clock in the morning and talk with the older people who basically when you go to the coffee shops, half the time they're talking sports. They're talking about the Cajuns. Those are the people you go after. You know, you can't just send a, a massive email and go send out a, a tweet saying, hey, we're promoting this. And then when people are wondering, how come I can't get my $10 tickets? You got to send them the link because the link wasn't there originally. And I mean, look, I just went while you were talking. I was as I was listening, I went to the Ticketmaster website. OK, so Cajuns basketball, both men's and women's. Now, the women's game's free. It's a doubleheader. Women's game's free, but you got to pay to watch the men's. The men's basketball team takes on Loyola of New Orleans on Monday night, 730 tip off, right? NAIA school, not even an NCAA team. So I decide I'm like, well, let me go see if I can go buy a ticket. A ticket that is $5.50, okay? I just did this five minutes ago. $5.50 once, once the fees are done to check out, $21. $21 to go watch us play Loyola of New Orleans. Now, who, who's going to pay the money to go watch that when I can go watch that on my, ES, on my ESPN app on my phone laying on the couch? Family for 64 bucks, right there. Yeah. No, 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 no. T 21 bucks times four, that's 80, that's $84. Oh yeah, eighty-four. Yeah. I'm sorry, I can't. Family four, eighty-four <laughs> bucks to go watch us play NAIA teams. Who, who's going to pay for that? I mean, Josh, you you got a family of four. Are you going to go pay eighty-four dollars? And then that's not including concessions, right? If Big Cat wants a popcorn and Cam wants a hot dog, you're going to pay another thirty bucks. Are you going to go pay popcorns and four hot dogs more like? Yeah, four hot dogs. Are you going to go pay one hundred and fifty dollars to go watch us play NAIA teams? Is it an exhibition game? Even does it even count? I mean, right. This goes back to the administration and athletics not being on the same page because I shared something about Ticketmaster and, and you know, about how how ridiculous it was on the fees. And someone at the highest level of administration liked that tweet. And that tells me that they know the issue, but somebody's not addressing it. So there is some disconnect, obviously, between the university administration and athletics that is not being bridged. And so that, again, you dig deeper into it and you we're not privy to the conversations and the things going on in the back rooms. But you have to think if I'm if I'm blasting Ticketmaster prices and someone highest at the highest level of administration is liking that. Then why don't they do something about it? Oh, well, I would have to assume because they can't because someone in the other administration has something to do with it. They've got to get this crap together, man. It's, it's control, been man. going on too long. It's it's control. It's control. Somebody look. One thing you've learned about about uh, the administration as a whole, especially on the academic side, usually the people in power, their certain positions. It's usually them not making decisions on certain things. Look, the Greek thing. I heard through the grapevine from somebody who works on campus that it wasn't the actual Greek administrators doing doing some of the uh, the pulling of strings it was somebody else above them or somebody in another department making the decisions against the greeks for the football games from what i was told so people that are hired to do their jobs even on that side can't do their jobs because somebody else is making the decisions for them awesome i feel like it's wizard it's like wizard of oz who was the wizard of oz where they have the um uh the who is somebody working the man machinery? behind the curtain yeah the man behind the curtain working the machinery that's what i feel like it's like sometimes with some of these 
crazy decisions that are being made. We got we got two callers, and then I have a question for y'all that uh, should be fun before we get out of here. Elliot, I know you've been on hold for a little bit there, man. Apologize about that. Welcome to the Raging Review podcast. How's it going, y'all? Doing well, sir. Welcome. Thanks. Um, so I just want to talk about uh, this quarterback history of Louisiana, especially this year. Because the Cajuns are no strangers to good quarterbacks. We've had Brian Mitchell, Jake DeLome, um, Terrence Broadway, Levi Lewis, and so on. Um, but I feel like this is the first year we've had, and as far as I can remember, France, I haven't really been following the Cajuns for a super long time, but it feels like the first year that we've had three quarterbacks who all played and were really solid. I don't know about you guys, but I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. It's, I mean, name a third-string quarterback that's coming in the last game of the season season and setting records. I mean, that, that's unheard of, especially here. And look, Lunch looked pretty good today. I mean, he made a, a mistake or two, but Lunch even looked like he was ready to go, you know? And and you think about the talent coming in. I think there was somebody shared a post uh, earlier today about uh, a – a football quarterback that that that's committed to throwing to a a baseball wide receiver that's committed for for us and i mean the the talent's there man i quarterback i am not worried about for the, probably the next 5 years i think we're good there man yeah and can i add that we haven't lost a single game this season due to the quarterback position no I 100%. we have a guest yeah no but quarterback position's been solid 1 through 3 so the, we haven't lost a game because of the quarterback role no yeah, for sure. And I feel like this is kind of the polar opposite of what was it, like 2017 when we had probably three or four quarterbacks start. And the only one that was really in the game was Levi Lewis. Um, it's, it's kind of funny how, like, just in the span of six years, things have been the complete opposite. Um, I think the last thing I want to say, I know I haven't really talked much, but I know you guys are talking about the uh, Cajun field, like the first and last games. And I just want to add my own. Um my first game, I don't even know when it was. I was probably a little kid, but my earliest memory was, I believe, going to see Oklahoma State play us at Cajun Field, and I believe it was with my dad and my grandpa. Have like eyeliner on, like Drew Brees, and uh, that was pretty cool. But my last memory was 2019, and that was seeing Troy, and we destroyed them. Um, yeah, I, I've been at Cajun Field a bunch of times, and obviously, I can't remember the first time, but. It's going to be weird seeing the stadium go, um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing the new one next time I come to Lafayette in the coming years. Man, I can't tell you how excited. I remember Dan McDonald during that Oklahoma State game being so freaking excited at halftime because we thought we were going to pull that out, man. I mean, I just, we all thought we, we were like, holy crap, we could actually win. And of course, they pulled away in the second half, but. Man, that that was a good memory. I will tell you, my best friend was coming in from Shreveport that day, and he he called me. He was like, "Hey, I'm in town." I'm like, "I can't talk. We're beating Oklahoma State." I was like, "That's all we needed to know." But that was that was a good time. Yeah, to me, that's when like everything just started going uphill. It was, I believe, Cuts first season, and then the next year we were bowl eligible for the first time since 1970. So even though we lost Oklahoma State, it was good. It kind of started started to show some hope for us. No doubt about it. I was a student that year. That was in the student section. That was that was a fun game. And then the second half happened, and Justin Blackman scored like four touchdowns, and <laughs> all of our dreams were just shattered in two quarters. Think of the talent that was on the field that night. Oh, my God. Brandon man. Whedon. Uh, I think they had a running back who played in the pros. I mean, their yep. entire offense were all 
Brandon Whedon was like 47 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Well, Elliot, appreciate you you joining in, man. Uh, we see you always in the comments. We appreciate uh, you following us and everything. So when you can, please request to speak, and we'll get you on as much as we can. Heck yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, right, Elliot. Good. You know, I said I don't care about a game, a bowl game, because season's been underwhelming. I understand that we need the practice, so great for that. But as far as, like, am I going to be excited, like, enough to load my family up and spend a couple thousand bucks on a football game? No, no, not, not going to happen. But what would be an opponent that you guys would be excited about? Like, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. Obviously, you, we're not going to play anybody that's ranked in the top 10, but there are a couple of opponents that if they announce we'd be playing them, I might have second thoughts. What would it be for you guys? Jerry, you go first. I saw one of the projections yesterday, the Independence Bowl, having us play Texas Tech. Uh, I would probably sit there in the living room and debate Kayla whether or not do if I want to take a night trip. Because the kickoff, I believe, is at night for the Independence Bowl on December 16th. And if we end up playing Texas Tech, I, I that would be a game I would consider going to. Now, granted, uh, if it's not you know 10 degrees and, and snowing in Shreveport, but that would be an opponent because uh, Texas Tech losing to Texas, they're 6-6. Six and six, But at the end of the day, they're a Big 12 team. So... I would love to play a team like that. And, and I've pretty much, I, I would think that we would have a chance to beat them. So um, if there's any way to redeem our season, if you can get a win against a big 12 school like Texas tech, I'm all for that. I, I would love to play the, the red Raiders in, in a bowl game in it with a chance to win. Jerry, I'm going to tell you this right now. I, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you play Texas tech in a bowl game, Maggie will find some way to not do it and play Kennesaw state in a bowl game. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just find a way. He'll find a way. I'm going to echo that, Jerry, in the fact that I feel like we need a do-over for the Independence Bowl because it was not fair yeah. last year. It was not fair. And I think we'll, our fans will actually, I think we'll have more than 13,000 fans in, in Shreveport if we go to, to Indy. I, I just have that feeling because I think the Shreveport community would support a Louisiana team again. They wanted to last year, but but the weather ruined it. So I feel like we need a do-over. I will be there. I, I, I would will, consider it, it. Look, I don't care. I don't care who the opponent is. If we're in the Independence Bowl, I'm going to show up. Um, outside of that, man, I don't know. I, I mean, for me, it's more of a location thing. If we're playing the Cure Bowl in Orlando, I'm not going. I don't care if we're playing Alabama. Uh, but but location for me is important. So if we're playing in, in the Texas Bowl in Houston or playing in Dallas or playing in in uh, Shreveport, then that's something I may consider uh, regardless of the opponent. So so it's it's less for me. It's less about the opponent, more about location. OK, look, I didn't look at the projections and I don't even know if it's possible for us to play this team. But there's one team in America that I would change everything, book the flight tomorrow, go to the game. And it's Florida. That would be absolutely. Absolutely. Now look, they're in a game right now. They're up on. They're up on Florida State right now. For bowl eligibility, if they beat Florida State, they'll be six and six and eligible. So if if it comes, you know, a week or two from now, and they announce Louisiana against Florida, I'm there, no matter what, no matter where. You don't think the powers that be want that to happen? I mean, think about the interest. I mean, that's think about the interest. Yes, it's a narrative. It's 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 who wouldn't watch that? I mean, and I think this is the year. If it's going to happen, this is the year for it to happen with so many bowl eligible teams in the Sun Belt. If it's going to happen, there's a deal to be made. That would be it. Uh, that would be the team that I would change my plans for. And then 
I know Jerry's going to uh, take us out, but one last question. You have to pick one memory, one Cajun field memory. You have to take it. And, and you can't say, well, this time and this time. One memory. What is it, Jerry? I'm going to go a little bit back in time. I said the other night my memory was the entire 2011 season because it was my last semester as an undergrad, and that was when we went undefeated and averaged 30,000 a game. But if there was one particular memory for me, I've been going to Cajun games. I've missed I've missed three home games since 1998, so I've been to many games, good and bad. But I have to say, and it's going to sound cliche, but when I was seven years old, I was at the game with the night we beat Texas A&M and I'll never forget the crowd, the atmosphere. Uh, my dad and I were actually on the sidelines that game and I, we were standing around a 35 yard line closest to the tunnel when Damon Mason picked off that pass literally within 20 feet away from me as he's taking it to the house. And I will never, ever forget the roar of the crowd when he took it to the house right in front of me as a kid. And I, I still say it. I've said it a thousand times. That moment was the moment I became the Cajuns fan that I am today. And it even dragged me into becoming a UL graduate and everything else from there. And, and you know, watching us wear the script Cajun helmets. I mean, look, this is right here, right? It's that it's that memory that just I'll never forget. And, you know, I remember we went into the locker room after the game and I remember high-fiving Jake DeLome in the locker room. I remember watching the fans take the, the goalposts down from the tunnel and um, that when, when you're seven, and that's the, the important thing, when you're seven years old and you have a memory like that, it never leaves you. And, that's and, true. and that was something for me that stuck with me, that sticks with me to this day. That's how I will always remember Cajun Field was that night, September 14th, 1996 <laughs> against, against Texas A&M. Grocery guy came. Sorry about that, Nick. <laughs> yeah. like, what's going My on? My dog's man? going crazy. Who needs an alarm when you have a dog to bark, right? So I, I've got a couple memories. Um, the first one is being the red hat for a game. I know Daryl Setnar has been that for many years, former SID, but I remember being the red hat for one game. And uh, I felt like I had so much power, man. But it was really cool because it was an ESPN game. And I'll never forget, I got a check from from Disney for uh, for doing that that ESPN game as a red hat. So that was really cool seeing behind the scenes more than than I usually get. But by far, regardless of teams and, and games and, and stuff going on, my favorite memories were seeing Big Lynn down either on the sideline or in his golf cart in the tunnel in the later years. And, and no matter what I was doing, even if I was sitting in the press box doing music or wh whether I was on the fan on the field, doing the, 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 the quarter breaks and stuff, I would always make it a point to go down and fist bump or give a hug to big Lynn every single time. He was always happy no matter what. So I will say any memory that had Big Lynn involved and me go and tell him hello to this day will always be tied to uh, to Cajun Field. Now, honorable mention was being on the field trumpet day 1996 as a freshman in high school when they still had the hedges and they still had the bulldog. They had a live bulldog. Uh, at least we, unlike Tech, didn't kill our bulldogs. So I was able to pet him, play with him and stuff. So that was cool back in 96. But definitely Big Lynn being down there and giving him love was some of my best memories. See, you kind of you were going down my road. I was going to say some of my Turkey Bowl uh, experiences from, from Little League, for, from Pee Wee football. You played the Turkey Bowl in Cajun Field. So that was some good stuff. And we were young, you know, seven, eight years old. Uh, but 
and I have a ton of those too. Like you guys, I can name 15 different great moments. There still will never be another day like winning the Sunbelt Championship on our home field in front of a record crowd with the best coach we ever had, with the most national attention we ever had. From the moment I woke up that day to the, to the time that I went to sleep at some ungodly hour the next day, it was fantastic to be a Cajuns fan. I mean, everything about it, the atmosphere, the people, the memories, the smells, the sights, everything, I'll never forget it. It, it, was, it was something, uh, it was a key moment in my fanhood and life. I mean, there were so many things. I have friendships because of that day uh, and so many other things. But I, I don't know. There was just something about it. it. It was special. There was something special about that day. Uh, and, and this is fun. So let me do one more, one more. Worst one. What's your worst memory, Jerry? Oh, losing to North Alabama. I knew you were going to say that. Actually, I, another one. No, another one. I'll tell you another one. I, I, I know mine. Mention. Uh, 2007, I was a student manager my freshman year on the sideline, losing to McNeese by 21 points, 38-17. Um, being on the field, seeing, you know, 10,000 people in blue and gold doing the, the clap, sway clap after every touchdown. That was heartbreaking. And look, Nick Deal can comment. I see Nick Deal commenting here because Nick and I were both freshman uh, student managers. We both had to sit there and watch that. And I had laundry duty that night. So as much as I wanted to leave the facility, I had to stay there till 2 a.m. Uh, washing uniforms as we got embarrassed and trounced by Magnese. But luckily, 2016 happened. The The Cajuns got their redemption against Magnese in 2016. So it wasn't as bad. But that was a horrible, horrible, horrible night for 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 all of us. Yeah, I'll say I'll give top three. North Alabama, number one. McNeese loss, number two. Western Kentucky loss, giving them their first freaking FBS win ever. Pissed me off more than anything. Honorable mention, anytime the AC went out in the press box. <laughs> I remember. Oh, I know some of those those games. It wasn't fun. Sweat box. Look. Western Kentucky, when that when that thing was when they took the lead for good, we all knew that Bustle was gone. He was toast. Oh, that was it. And and, and was there it. was just something extra pissing off about that game. Uh, Willie Taggart was the head coach, if I remember right, at Western Kentucky. First, yep. ev- how old were they? They, had, they were less than ten years old as a program, right? No, they, well, they've been around, but they they had moved up to FBS. the FBS, and they had a twenty eight game losing streak going into yes. that game, and it was our homecoming, and, and it, it was, was homecoming. homecoming, and they beat us by thirty three. So yeah. I ne- I never been more embarrassed as a fan. It was horrible, and and I didn't go to the North Alabama game. I was I mean I was paying attention, but I wasn't there, so I can't cl- I can't claim now. McNeese, I left early because I couldn't take it anymore. But that Western Kentucky game, I sat through all of that. So you want to you want to hear my age? I know we got to wrap this up, but you want to know my like you will know my age when I tell you this. The North Alabama game and the old scoreboard that had the message board I going on all yeah. at the top. I was running that for that game. And thanks to Turbine, by the way, from Raging Pageant, who came in and helped me figure it out how to run the program because it was old DOS menu thing that you had to type in. So Turbine came up and helped me figure that out. Had to figure it out in one day. And then, yeah, I was doing the whole, yeah, that was fun. A shout out to Elliot. He said the 2014 loss to Tech. Man, that, that ranks up there also. That was horrible. Oh, by the way. I was on the field doing the announcing during that game, and I will never forget walking because I had to walk like in the student section and walk back around on the sideline. And this annoying Louisiana Tech fan, as I'm walking by, screams out at me, drunk as hell, how about the dogs? And I looked at one of the cheerleaders from Louisiana Tech, and she's like, 
Mm-hmm. We, we don't so, claim. Them. Yeah, that was that was. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you should go ask that guy now today. How about them dogs? Speaking of seriously, uh, they're great football. Program. Yeah, he's probably working for the guy who made those comments now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jerry, I'm done asking questions. Do what you got to do. All right, guys. Well, look, everybody, to all the callers, to all the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Nick, thanks for being here. Josh, thanks for working the boards for us. Great job. Uh, We'll be back next week to talk more uh, Rager Review, talk more Cajun sports. We got some basketball, got football review to talk about from today. We'll take some guesses on where we're going bowling because, yes, it is official. The Cajuns are in a bowl game, so we'll see where our fate lies and what destination and which opponent we will face in that bowl game for the sixth year in a row. Cajuns going to a bowl game, but to review today, final score Cajuns take care of the ULM Warhawks by the score of 52 to 21. As we pull down the final curtain call for Cajun field, as we know it, Cajun field will officially begin construction slash uh, demolition with the uh, West side and upper deck on December 11th. Uh, So we want to say thank you Thanks for the memories at Cajun Field. Uh, And also, again, be on the lookout. We will have this episode up as soon as possible. Thanks, everybody, for participating tonight. Thank you for your call-ins. Also want to thank our sponsors, Dr. Brett Venable and Recovery Cairo Med, as well as Absolutely Embroidery and more. Go check those guys out. And uh, if you like what we do, like what we say, like what we talk about, please like, subscribe, comment. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. You can listen to our episodes on Apple iTunes as well as Spotify. And we will see you next week for more content on Region Review. But tonight, celebrate the win, celebrate the bowl berth. And as always, guys, go Cajuns. And in the for, for Nick, for Josh, I'm Jerry. In the words of the late great big dave thibodeau bye we out of here see you next week for more region review